Friends, good morning. We welcome you to Real Talk on this uh, Friday morning. Thanks for tuning in on this January 8th. Ryan Jesperson here with you. We have a good show in store. Coming up in about uh, a half hour's time, we're going to be hearing it's our traditional Real Talk roundtable, Fridays from 9 to 10. Uh, We're splitting it into two groups today because we've got four Alberta mayors uh, that want to chime in, that want to join us. We're going to hear from the mayors of Calgary, Red Deer, Lethbridge, and uh, the regional municipality of Wood Buffalo. We'll call it Fort McMurray today. They've written an open letter to the province where they're sounding the alarm. Uh, The mayors say all Albertans must speak up against changes to EMS dispatch. If you think of where we're hearing uh, where these mayors are chiming in from, if you you picture the province of Alberta, you know, to to have Fort McMurray, uh, you know, with, with apologies to the Albertans that truly, truly live north, we'll call Fort McMurray, we'll call the regional municipality of Wood Buffalo, northern Alberta today. We'll have northern, central and Southern Alberta represented. And we'll talk to those mayors about uh, why uh, EMS dispatch changes matter so much to their communities. What are the implications? What have they told governments in past? What are they telling this government? And if you're wondering if we'll have an opportunity to ask Calgary's mayor, Nahed Nenshi, about the the scandal plaguing his office around his staffers traveling uh, to the tropics over the course of the holidays amid a travel advisory against that type of thing, the answer is, of course, we'll get to that right away. Nahed Nenshi uh, and Red Deer's Mayor Tara Veer joining us right around nine o'clock. Then we'll talk to Fort McMurray's Mayor Don Scott, Lethbridge's Mayor Chris Spearman, who just announced, by the way, he won't seek reelection. Uh, they'll join us around nine thirty. We're also going to talk to Jeremy Clausus today. He's editor in chief of The Sprawl, uh, an independent uh, journalism outlet out of Calgary. They've been doing some reporting on what they're calling the relationship between Alberta's united conservative government and WestJet. Uh, tough news from WestJet today announcing it'll further slash its flight schedule for February and March, also eliminating the equivalent of about a thousand jobs. A lot of people yesterday were interested in what Premier Jason Kenney had to say in his media availability around Alberta's travel advisories. Many people are calling them contradictory or confusing. Uh, the government pushing out the message that air travel is safe, that all the screening measures are being done, that the airlines are integral to the Alberta and, and Canadian economy, but at the same time, don't travel. And people rightfully so are saying, well, well, which is it? Is it that it's safe and here's what to do when you travel? Or is it don't travel? We'll talk to Jeremy Clausus about that. And of course, we'll bring you some of the comments made yesterday by Alberta's premier, who I will say uh, came to the Uh, came to the podium yesterday uh, to a certain degree prepared, I think, to attempt to repair a relationship uh, between this government and between Albertans. You can let me know what you think, but Jason Kenney yesterday, I think some of the language, uh, some of the words that he was using to me indicated that the message that Albertans have been sending has been resonating with the premier's office. Now, you will say to me, talk is cheap. We want to see action Uh, When he talks about uh, this government showing more discipline, when he talks about this government better respecting the electorate, that comes with time. Uh, that 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 is something that that elected officials across party lines can prove, and you would be right on that. And of course, today, January eighth is the one year anniversary of the downing of Ukrainian International Airlines Flight Seven Fifty Two. On one hand, it's hard to believe it's already been a year. On the other hand, it it feels like an eternity ago, considering all of the challenges that twenty twenty brought amid the pandemic. Amid a global economic collapse, uh, amid all of the other factors that made 2020 a difficult year for everybody, the families grieving the losses 
of those 176 souls aboard that aircraft have been dealing with something even much more painful, a pain unimaginable to those of us that have not walked a mile in those shoes. We will talk to three individuals momentarily that continue to fight for what they would define as justice for the families of Flight 752. That's coming up today. That's coming up in just one moment. But we'll remind you that today's show and every show is presented by our presenting sponsor, Bitcoin Well. All signs are early this year that it could be a big year for Bitcoin. Uh, instability in government seems to have the impact of, of bumping up Bitcoin. If if you're intrigued and if you want to learn more, why not go to the Edmonton-based Bitcoin Well? Yeah, sure, they provide service across Canada, but they're proudly based right here in Alberta. It's the safest and easiest way to buy and sell Bitcoin. Uh, you can check them out online. Just visit the Sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Well, it feels like one of those, uh, do you remember where you were when you heard? The story of uh, the downing of Flight 752. It was a scheduled international passenger flight, you'll remember, from uh, Tehran, uh, destined for Kiev, uh, operated by Ukraine International Airlines. Uh, shortly after takeoff on the 8th of January 2020, that Boeing 737 uh, was shot down uh, shortly after takeoff uh, from Tehran's International Airport by the Iranian Islamic Revolutionary Guards. Uh, all 176 passengers and crew aboard were killed, including 55 Canadians and 30 permanent residents. It had a devastating impact, not just on the families, uh, the families bereaved, obviously, but the greater communities, including the University of Alberta family, the city of Edmonton and the province of Alberta. We're grateful today to be joined by three individuals who continue uh, to feel that loss firsthand. Uh, Daniel Godes is a member of the Association of Families of Flight PS752 Victims. Uh, he's also a medical student at the University of Alberta. Daniel lost his partner, his dearly loved girlfriend, Saba Sadat, who perished along with her sister, her mother, on flight PS752. Daniel, thank you for being here with us on a day that I'm sure brings uh, pain for you. We're grateful that you're here to share your story. Hey, thank you for having us. Javad Soleimani is a graduate student at the University of Alberta, a member of the Association of Families of Victims, as well as a board member and chair of the fact-finding commission. Uh, Javad lost his wife, Elnaz, in the downing of that flight. Both of them uh, at the time were PhD students at the U of A. Javad, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having us, Ryan. Uh, and Payman uh, Persean is an, an active member of the Iranian community in Edmonton. He's the former president of the Iranian Heritage Society of Edmonton, as well as a former political staffer to Alberta's premier. Uh, Payman, thank you for being here today, and, and thank you for helping us coordinate these interviews. Daniel, when you woke up this morning, uh, I'm sure it's a day that, that you, you've been looking at the calendar as, as the day approaches. I would imagine uh, you have probably been been dreading to a certain degree some of the feelings that will return today as you woke up this morning. What felt different today about the last 364 days? You know, what's 
really surprising to me is that after a year, um, I would expect to have made some process progress uh, in terms of the grief that I've been experiencing and the, just the feelings. But um, waking up today and even yesterday as well, I think I've realized that um, in a way this pain has just been buried further um, within me. And um, unfortunately, I haven't been able to come to terms with um, any piece of this uh, horrific tragedy. Daniel, I could speculate on many different reasons as, as to why your, your healing uh, or the easing of your pain may not be progressing on a pace that you perhaps thought. Have you been able to identify why you think that is? Are there one or two factors in particular uh, that you think that have made the, the healing process a little bit more difficult than you anticipated? Uh, yes, definitely. I think the first uh, part to that is just the sudden loss of life um, that I experienced and all the other family members experienced as well. Um, you know, Saba and her family were just getting on a routine flight to come back um, from a trip they were uh, on during Christmas break. And I had even been in touch with her, you know, an hour prior to uh, their flight taking off in the airport. And then you hear this news and that shock is just so difficult to deal with. Um, and on the other hand, throughout this year, um, uh, it's one of the things that's been very difficult for myself and the rest of the families is that we haven't received any sense of closure um, after the plane was shot down. You know, initially we were told that uh, the plane had crashed due to mechanical failure and technical issues. And then within three days, um, the Iranian regime finally admitted to shooting down the plane. And unfortunately in the past year, um, they have published, you know, a series of reports, but in every single one of those reports, they've failed to provide any sort of evidence um, to implicate human error as the cause of the downing. So we have many questions and um, I think not having answers and a clear picture of what happened makes it even that much more difficult. Javad, what do you remember about uh, the morning of January 8th, twenty? 20 uh, how, how did your morning begin and, and when did you first uh, learn or suspect that something may be wrong yeah you know i think yeah bef uh, five hours before the downing of flight ps752 the iranian regime attacked u.s military bases in iraq so i was like yeah maybe there is a connection between the downing of flight ps752 uh and missile attack on U.S. military bases. Uh, I don't know what to say really, Ryan. Today, when I wanted to just wake up, I was like this, oh, the pain is still fresh for us and it's kind of killing me little by little. Daniel said that we didn't get closure and I think the Iranian regime behavior over the past year uh, made the situation more complicated and also made it uh, more terrible for us. Family harassment has been something ongoing. And we are dealing with the government, which is not a normal government. 
all of us know that. And some people sometimes telling me as time goes on, everything's getting more normal. But honestly, it's not true. The pain is still fresh for us. And we are kind of stuck on January 8th, you know, uh, because we, did, we didn't get any closure because we don't know what exactly happened on that night. Uh, all of a sudden, we lost our loved ones in the most unexpected and terrible way. Javad, when you, when you talk about justice and when you talk about closure, uh, I would imagine in, in a circumstance like this, closure, uh, whatever that word is supposed to mean, uh, may never come. Uh, this will never make sense. Certainly, your, your pain will never be eased. Um, what would be most important for you? What would justice look like with regards to the investigation, uh, with regards to, to amends that, that may be made? I mean, I know that uh, Canada's special advisor on the Iranian military's downing the shooting down of this passenger jet is is rejecting Tehran's offer to pay a sum of money $150,000 to the families of those killed in the tragedy what would justice Javad look like to you you know the real justice is that we can have our loved ones back but it's not going to happen in this world uh, about the compensation Iranian regime kind of try to to close the case with just compensation and stop families of victims seeking justice by just paying them compensation. But we, but compensation for us is just a secondary thing, you know? And the real justice for this world is actually, we can see the Iranian regime into a, in a court of justice. And I think the International Court of Justice in Netherlands is the maybe best place for families of victims, maybe there we can reach justice. And we want to see all those responsible for the downing of flight PS752 uh, in a court of justice. Do all those people systematically try to cover up the downing of flight PS752 uh, in the first three days and uh, immediately after the downing of flight PS752, they bulldoze the crash site they looted the passengers' belongings, and uh, but the, I think the most important thing to get justice is to discover all the truth about that night. What exactly happened on that night? After a year, we don't know. We don't know what exactly happened on that night. We just have. Uh, um, so many unanswered questions and Iranian regime uh, published uh, different reports over the past year, but uh, all reports just raise more questions for families of victims and more concerns. Uh, so to get the truth, I think we need to have a impartial and a credible investigation it has been completely proven over the past year that the Iranian regime is not going to do that. So I think the negotiation is not going to work. And I think the Canadian government and other involved countries need to, to need to conduct their own investigations. And the formation of forensic team recently 
which is supervised by J- Mr. Jeff Yaworski, was a good starting point. But I think there is a lot room to improvement and to work to eventually uh, reach justice and discover all the truths. Samir is watching in this morning on our live YouTube thread. Samira says, imagine losing your partner suddenly and then almost immediately uh, going into isolation with this pandemic. There's there's no relief uh, and really no resources for for people to lean on for strength. Uh, Samira says, I'm wishing all of you strength and peace today. Um, Payman, you you stepped up uh, in in the hours after uh, this tragedy. Uh, in a sense, uh, I think as an unofficial spokesperson for Alberta's Iranian community, for Edmonton's Iranian uh, community, and, and, I, and, I, and I would imagine to a certain degree it was a, uh, a time period where you look back and, and perhaps have spotty memory. It, I, I remember even myself disconnected from the story, but as a, as a fellow Albertan, as a Canadian, uh, as a global citizen that was shocked by the footage, um, uh, uh, some element of, 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 of just being stunned. Uh, at the magnitude of the tragedy. Now, Canadians, I think, have, have tried to make sense of this, but as as the news cycle goes on, as human beings, we're, we're inclined to have stories fall off our radar, so to speak. What do you think today is is most important for every Canadian watching this broadcast to know about Flight 752, what happened, and about the status of this investigation, including maybe what you think Canada's federal government could do better on? Thank you, Ryan. Um, that's very important. I think the most important takeaway for uh, Albertans and Canadians is that this could have been any of us. Uh, this wasn't a red flag airline. This wasn't uh, an unserviced 1970s airplane. Um, and that's what really scared the Iranian community. Um, I'd like to pay, paint a picture for some of the uh, listeners uh, or the audiences, but uh, the international students that are here, they don't have families here. No one, no next of kin, generally, or, or sometimes it's just their spouse. There's no supports for them in particular. And what COVID-19 has done to this community is, I mean, I, I can't bring words to it. Because they can't grieve with their loved ones. They can't travel home to see their families, uh, simply what they were trying to do over the holidays when they were there. Um, and it's done a, a real disservice. This was the worst airline crash in Canadian history in, in nearly four decades. And uh, it was carried out by an organization that Canada recognizes as a, as a terrorist entity. Um, and so going forward with the Canadian government's reaction, I I think the government could use improvements in, in being more aggressive with the Iranian government. The Iranian government is playing games. Um, they're not here to uh, proceed with a conventional, truthful, and fact-finding investigation. This offer of compensation is just a premature unilateral decision to try and close the investigation before things get further or things get closer to say the ICC, the International Court, uh, the Criminal Court or the International Court of Justice. Um, and it's also demonstrated the breakdown of international law. The ICAO or Interna- uh, International Civil Aviation Organization uh, requires that a nation uh, who is down the plane be the lead investigator. I mean, in what circumstance do you allow the culprit in a murder to be investigating themselves or leading the investigation. It's just so inappropriate. So we've seen a breakdown from the international side. We've seen our federal government take a bit of a, a tiptoe diplomacy stance with a regime that's, you know, essentially a garrison state uh, dicta- dictatorship. 
and uh, our community here, I mean, with COVID-19, hasn't been able to grieve like you would normally in Persian culture. It's about getting together and being as a community. And um, I don't speak on behalf of the Iranian Heritage Society of Edmonton, but that organization has served as a, you know, a family far from home for many of the community members here. I was privileged enough to be here for long enough that I, I do have some relatives here as well. Um, and so, you know, it, it puts me in a position to try and sympathize. Some of these people have no one else but the community here. And when COVID-19 came in, they couldn't grieve together. This must be very, very challenging. Daniel, was that, uh, first of all, Daniel, let me read this. Uh, Kaylin uh, is watching in from Vancouver this morning. She says, you know, I went to high school with Saba. Uh, she says she was incredibly kind. She was brilliant. Uh, and I wish I would have been able to know her better. I can't imagine the grief of that sudden loss with no closure. Uh, may you all find peace. Um, I know that in, in, in interviews you've granted, uh, Daniel, you've talked about how an element of, of your grieving was was exacerbated. It was very difficult for you after uh, your girlfriend's passing uh, to learn that she had been admitted uh, to the interview stage for medical school, which was a goal that the two of you had set. I know you're incredibly proud of her, and the sudden loss would be so difficult. Uh, with Payman discussing the the cultural elements of grieving, and, and I think that people from from all cultures, quite frankly, can relate to the need um, to gather. When you describe uh, these families being stuck on January eighth, twenty twenty, in a way. Has that been part of it? Has has the pandemic, has the isolation, has the the detachment from other people? Do you think uh, played the biggest role or played a significant role here? I think uh, that's definitely an important aspect of um, the way we've grieved in the past year. I think back to um, you know the first month after uh, the plane was downed and. Um, I had friends at my house um, almost every day. Um, people would stop by, and that really helped me uh, overcome those initial weeks. But, but also at the same time, uh, I have to admit that in my own mind, I haven't really started processing what it means to be in a global pandemic. Um, I think only at, recently I've started to do that. And um, I think, as you mentioned earlier, um, we feel like our lives stopped on January 8th. So anything that has happened since then is just, um, in a way it's been really difficult to understand the significance of it, uh, just personally. Um, but I think recently with, um, you know, starting school again, uh, because I took a year off, um, last year, I was actually in school last year. And then from January, I took a year off until September. Um, so in the past few months, I think I've started to feel the effects of the pandemic even more. Um, I think before I was just, you know, in a way isolated in my own mind, trying to make sense of what had happened. Um, but the isolation, the physical isolation um, is definitely challenging. Jess is watching this morning. Jess, uh, she says, I don't know how you begin to work through grief when there's so much anger around an event. Uh, she says, this is just so sad. Uh, and, and I'm so very sorry that from Jess. Uh, Javad, my understanding is that there's there's been and I've seen this reported. Uh, and I'm wondering if you can elaborate on 
some of the harassment, the alleged harassment that families have been subjected to uh, by the Iranian regime. Uh, have you personally or uh, families that you know of been targeted here? Yeah, family harassment, I think, has been something ongoing from the very beginning. You know, after the downing of Flight TS-75 to the Iranian regime to control everything, they hijacked some funerals. It happened uh, to my wife, and they hijacked the funerals. You know, some mullahs and some IRGC commanders just uh, to control everything, and... When some families of victims started to speak up, uh, they were detained. They were called by intelligence service, which happened to me. And uh, currently, we are working to prepare a comprehensive report about different aspects of family harassment. We are working with a human rights watch organization to prepare the report and probably publish the report in the near future. Uh, even threatening families of victims happened in Canadian soil. Uh, for instance, Iran's uh, the head of uh, aircraft accident investigation bureau in Iran, Hassan Rizal, in the beginning of March, called me to talk about different aspects of the downing of Flight PS752, and he clearly told me that. Okay, removing some of your Instagram posts criticizing the Iranian regime. So, obviously, I didn't do that. And there is a leaked audio file. Uh, in July, I think CBC talked about this audio file. It was a long conversation, about a 90 minutes conversation. And uh, his voice is available. Uh, and two days after our conversation, my family... And my wife's family were called by intelligence service that, uh, because in social media, uh, I was very active. I had different, uh, different interview with uh, both Persian and English media regarding this heinous crime. And they just, they just wanted to uh, put pressure on my family to kind of stop me. And in addition to me, I think... It wasn't just uh, physical threatening. It was also about, you know, I think it was in the October, Daniel, correct me if I'm wrong, October 5th, we had a nationwide, nationwide justice rally in Canada and in some other countries. Uh, uh, during the rally and after the rally, our website, ps752justice.com, was under. Uh, heavy cyber attack. You can you can guess who, who who actually wanted to kind of hack our website, something like that. So a well-known judge inside Iran, uh, after we established the association in March, clearly told the families of victims that we know that some people in Canada uh, are working. Uh, about ps 752 case, and it's not that much hard for us even in Canada, we suppress them. So this is a clearly threatening families of victims, and this is, I think, obviously about uh, national security in Canada. So 
Honestly, uh, before the downing of Afghanistan, I knew that the Iranian regime is not a normal government, it's a brutal government, but I didn't expect this. Uh, and even after a year, they didn't let some families of victims to have funeral or terrible. I cannot just explain by words how this government is terrible. For instance, uh, when we wanted to bury our loved ones, they wrote, uh, congratulations on your martyr, the coffins. You know, our loved ones, and then they wrote down congratulations. And Iranian government is not a normal government. And I, uh, I think this is not just about us. This is about all the world, as long as we have a government like the Iranian regime, that the world is not a safe place for all people, you know? So, and violation of human rights, I think, is uh, is not a domestic issue, it's an international issue. And all the international community, Canadian government, all people need to be sensitive about the violation of human rights in all over the world, especially in Iran. Well, this is, and, and this is, uh, I think, the key takeaway here um, for for everyone watching. Obviously, the families here have a, uh, a vested interest in seeing justice uh, and in working toward pursuing some definition of closure. Uh, payment, obviously, Edmonton and, and, and Alberta and Canada's Iranian communities uh, w- will continue to heal together. Um, and then you have approximately 35 million Canadians here that that I think could stand to be made more aware of some of these issues, including what we're hearing about today. Uh, the the concerns around the investigation and who is investigating the harassment the families are facing. Um, Payment, if you could put out in closing here a, a call to action to every single person that's watching or this live that's going to hear this podcast, uh, what would it be? It would be to make sure that, uh, you know, we recognize what uh, contributions immigration brings to this country. We saw the 138 that were bound for Canada and what kind of minds and community members and contributing members of our society were on that flight. And so to appreciate that this country is built by, uh, through pluralism, through from people in all corners of the world. Um, I'd also like to know how grateful I am to be in a country like Canada. Uh, Canada one-tenth of the memorial uh, programs that Canada put together is was a hundred times more than what they did in Iran. Um, Canada showed up more for the Iranian citizens and the non-Canadians that were involved in that flight than Iran did for their own citizens. Um, I'm truly grateful to be in this country, uh, as I'm sure the vast majority of the community would agree. This city, this province and country showed up for us and made sure that we didn't feel uh, left out uh, the university uh, as well huge like I, I can't i have no words to express my gratitude for what this city the, the university province and country have done for us uh, so far i know covid 19 has been uh, un- an unprecedented wedge that is uh hasn't really helped the situation but uh, going forward i hope that uh, canadians who perhaps didn't recognize what immigration brings to our country uh, start to see you know as a window from those who are on that flight. I think that's uh, such an important focus. And I'm, and I'm, let me just say, I'm so grateful for the three of you uh, making time for us today. Uh, I, I know that words are only worth so much and can only provide so much uh, support. 
but please do know I can see the expression of, of love and, and grief and support from our audience that's watching and listening to this live. Uh, me personally, this is uh, something that, uh, you know, as we observe this, this anniversary, this one year mark today, each one of us feels this quite clearly. None of us feel it as strongly and as personally as you do. Uh, but Daniel Godes and Javad Soleimani and, and Payman Persean, you've, you've shown great courage in speaking with us today. Our hearts are with you. Our deepest condolences remain. Thank you for this conversation. We appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Thank you for inviting us. Uh, to the, our audience members that, that are, are feeling uh, as moved as I am, and I know that you're communicating this, uh, a reminder that we do have the power to communicate with our government. We do have the power to to hold our government to account and to indicate where our expectations lie with regards to this. There are serious questions, as you've heard, about the, the integrity of this investigation, uh, the relationship that Canada has with this Iranian regime. Uh, the long leash that that regime is on, so to speak, and ultimately what justice looks like here. That's a story we'll continue to monitor. And our thanks to those three uh, for joining us. We'll be talking to four Alberta mayors coming up in just a moment. Now is a great time to remind you that the team at Friesen Brothers is celebrating uh, the eve of the opening of their 15th Alberta location. Friesen Brothers has been uh, providing one-of-a-kind Grocery services to Albertans for more than six decades, family owned, family operated the entire time. And they reiterate their support uh, now 60 plus years into Alberta producers, including Alberta farmers. It's why they only carry Alberta beef, pork, chicken and turkey fresh. That is they use Alberta milled flour in their bakeries. And they support as many Alberta farmers as they can in their produce departments. They've got their Red Seal chefs, their real butchers and bakers. The team at Friesen Brothers has you covered for supporting local and creating delicious meals. If you have plumbing and heating work that needs to be done, we want to direct you toward a friend of this show. Todd's Mechanical is proud to be a builder here with the Real Talk family. And they're keeping Edmonton and those in the Edmonton area warm and dry, covering all your plumbing and heating needs, including furnace repairs over the winter for the absolute best plumbers in Edmonton. You don't have to take my word for it. Check out their Google reviews off the charts called Todd's Mechanical today or write the number down for when you need them. 780-499-7598. I also want to say a quick thank you to the team at Dairy Queens in Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. There's six of them that our pals Mark and Michael own. They've locally owned these Dairy Queens for a number of years, and they've forged strong relationships with nonprofits and charities in their communities of Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, Y Gardens, and Baseline Road. Wanted to let you know that if you're a real talker and you're looking for a deal on Dilly Bars, one of the most popular players in their lineup, all you need to do is walk into one of those six locations, grab a box of six Dilly Bars, and then grab another box because it's buy one, get one free for real talkers. Make sure you tell them at the counter that you're a friend of Real Talk. And don't forget, they have dairy-free Dilly Bars. And they say they'll honor that sale while supplies last, in case there's one of you that's going to go in and buy out their whole stock. Before we talk to the mayors, let's take a look at what's making news on this Friday morning.
Well, the federal government says that 195,000 Canadians have received their first shot of the two-shot COVID-19 vaccine. 425,000 doses delivered, but Canada's premiers have been speaking with the Prime Minister. We expect another update from Premier Jason Kenney today. Uh, They say they need the capacity uh, to vaccinate Canadians, or rather they need the vaccines. They say they have the capacity to vaccinate faster, but they need the vaccines. Uh, This was a call last night. Canada's premiers on with the Prime Minister. Sources uh, telling CBC News that the Quebec government says it could administer more doses in a week than it will receive from the feds in a month. To provide you with some perspective, meantime, Pfizer and BioNTech uh, say that the vaccine does appear to be effective against this key mutation that we've been hearing about out of the UK, that highly transmissible new variant of the coronavirus. They're calling it the N501Y mutation, uh, the spike protein. Uh, Scientists with Pfizer and the University of Texas Medical Branch, uh, it's not been peer-reviewed, but they do say that the vaccine is effective in neutralizing the virus with this mutation. And as reported earlier, WestJet today announcing uh, the cutting of the equivalent of a thousand jobs. They're reducing flights as well in their spring schedule citing volatile demand and instability in the face of continuing federal government travel advisories and restrictions. This means that 30% of the current flight schedule for February and March will be removed. Now, keep in mind that that's a decline of close to 80%. Uh, compared to the average for this time period in previous years. We will be talking to Jeremy Klazis. He's the publisher of The Sprawl out of Calgary, an independent uh, journalist, uh, a journalism outfit out of Calgary about the provincial government and WestJet and some of the mixed messaging around traveling. That's coming up uh, just after 10 o'clock on this morning's show. All right, every Friday around 9 o'clock, we bring you our Real Talk Roundtable. And today we have an opportunity to check in with four Alberta mayors. Now, in, in the interests of the flow of the conversation, we'll split it into two blocks, which means that we have an opportunity now to check in with the mayor of Calgary, His Worship, Nehad Nenshi, the mayor of Red Deer, Her Worship, uh, Tara Veer. Mayors, welcome to Real Talk, and thanks for being with us today. Thanks very much. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year to you, Mayor. Uh, Mayor Nenshi, obviously, we'll talk about ambulatory care. We'll talk about 911 call centers. We'll talk about an open letter to the province uh, from from almost uh, literally four corners of Alberta here in just a moment. But everyone will be expecting uh, you and I to get into the story around uh, two of your staffers, including your chief of staff, uh, traveling to Hawaii over the holiday break uh, in the face of provincial travel advisories against that. You've said that your chief of staff, Devery Corbin, will not face disciplinary action as people are calling for a resignation or a firing in line with Premier Kenny's chief of staff, Jamie Huckabee. How are you justifying to your constituents and to your supporters not taking action on this uh, action by your chief of staff? Well, you know, as you're going to be talking with Jeremy Klaas soon about some mixed messaging from the government of Alberta, and I'll just underline that a little bit. Let's remember that at the end of November, uh, the government of Alberta announced that travel to Hawaii was safe. They said that, and it's the only place in the world, they said that it is a safe travel corridor between Hawaii and Calgary, or and Alberta, I should say. Uh, Safe and responsible is what Minister Schweitzer said. So, you know, when you think about one of my colleagues in my office, they had planned a spring break trip to celebrate a special occasion in early 2020. They canceled it because of COVID. And when they heard that it is now safe to travel to Hawaii from their provincial government, they thought, well, let's use up these credits before they expire. 
Was it the right thing to do? Absolutely not. Do I regret it a lot? Am I sorry that I didn't push back much harder? Yes. But what good does it do to ruin someone's livelihood and ruin their reputation when they thought they were doing the right thing? Um, I didn't get into politics to save my skin at other people's expense. Maybe that makes me an unconventional politician. But fundamentally, I'm very upset about it. But there's no way that I could look myself in the mirror shaving in the morning saying I wrecked somebody's family life or their livelihood in the hopes that people might feel a little bit better about me. Mayor, you know, though, that people will be watching right now and saying, hey, talking about livelihoods, you know, my, my family business, our restaurant, our retail outlet, whatever the case may be, is, has been shut down in, in different and varying degrees over the past nine months. Our livelihood has been destroyed and you've got a high profile story out of Calgary. Uh, admittedly, there's some nuance to this story, but but a young man playing on the outdoor rink with his friends threatened to be tased and arrested by Calgary police officers. The story gleans international attention and, that, and then it comes out of Calgary City Hall that it, it doesn't appear really that that a very strong stance is being taken on uh, this action that flied in the face of the travel advisory. People are calling it hypocrisy. Uh, you know, in, I suppose in, in the assumption that that firing your chief of staff might communicate to the citizens of Calgary that you recognize that there's been a double standard here. How will you communicate that you're taking this seriously if not by taking action against your chief of staff? I don't believe in cutting off one's nose to spite one's face. And I'm not convinced that uh, adhering to a desire for revenge on somebody who, again, was following the restrictions, let's keep that in mind, was following the messaging of the government of Alberta. And I think that uh, Jeremy will have a lot more to say about that when you talk to him. Um, First of all, you know, let's remember that no employer actually has the right to tell someone what to do on their vacation. There's no pre-approval of where you go. I can't tell you this is what you do on your spare time, unless, of course, you're doing something illegal. Uh, But at the same time, so there's really no bounds for that. But at the same time, I think real fairness involves not throwing someone to the wolves here just to prove to the mob that uh, I'm taking this seriously. Of course, I'm taking it seriously. Every action I've taken this year shows how seriously that we're taking this over the last 310 days or so. All of that said, I understand people are angry and upset. They should be. And I'm angry and upset because you're seeing, I didn't get to see my grandma all year. I haven't seen my family uh, since the latest restrictions have been put in place. And yet they're seeing other people flit off to Hawaii and that smacks of entitlement and privilege. I get it. I understand it. It's a horrible situation. But when you look forward, what good does it do to add one more person to the unemployment role in a time when this is already bad? Would that solve anything? Frankly, would it make anyone less mad? Did it make anyone less mad at Jason Kenney? You know, probably not. The other nuance that I think is important here is that we're talking about career public servants in the case of my staff, you know, not political staff. They're not involved in COVID. They don't set the political agenda, even though my chief of staff has the same title as the premier's chief of staff. It's a very different job. She runs my office. She doesn't sit around the table developing the COVID restrictions. Uh, And in addition to that, you know, I'll say one more time, Doug Schweitzer told us to go to Hawaii. Uh, that's very different than someone going to a place where there's a variant of the COVID virus that is in complete lockdown and where there's a travel ban, which is the case uh, for the premier's chief. 
Okay, I we have we have uh, some pretty strong responses, Mayor, as you might imagine, from from uh, members of our audience here this morning. I want to let those that are watching and listening in today know that I'm going to get to those, and I'll do those justice later on. Uh, we do have limited time uh, with our mayors here, and so I want to get into the story at hand, uh, Mayor. We we do appreciate you taking those questions. Obviously, the audience would have demanded that we touch on that. Let's talk about 911 call centers across the province of Alberta. Let's talk about what led to a letter. It's not unprecedented, but it's it's certainly significant when four different mayors from four different regions of the province lobby the province to take an issue more seriously you're, you're, you're sounding the alarm uh, mayor nancy i want to give you the chance here first why is this a matter of life and death that alberta health services uh, with regards to its ambulance dispatch centers will be cutting the total number of dispatch centers from seven down to three what does this mean for a city of more than a million people in calgary so what's happening here is that we are losing local control over 911 dispatch. So when in Calgary, uh, about before I was mayor, it's called 12 or 13 years ago, we no longer control the paramedics, EMS. They became part of Alberta Health Services. Uh, but we maintained control of 911. So when you call 911 today, you get Calgary 911 police, fire, or ambulance, and one dispatcher on one system has the ability to dispatch fire and ambulance. The police is a different system, but they're all in the same room and they're all coordinating with one another. Now, Alberta Health Services has long wanted to take this over because they see it as part of health as opposed to part of first response. And that may sound like a technical distinction, but it's actually a very big deal because what will happen across the month of January should this go through is that if you call 911, you still get the people in Calgary, but if you say you need an ambulance, it gets transferred to one of these three 911 centers across the province. They dispatch it there. And then if a fire truck is also needed, it somehow comes back to Calgary 911. If police is needed, it's actually super broken. And, and we can get into more detail about that. But the big problem here is that many events require all of them to be there. In Calgary, the firefighters get there first in about half of the events because there's more fire trucks than there are ambulances. And so as a result, they're there providing emergency life-saving care before the ambulance gets there. And we are extremely concerned that as this changes, we're going to have slower response times and less coordination between people who are just trying to help the person on the worst day of their life. Uh, Mayor Veer, uh, I want to let you know that an audience member right now says, you know, I really feel for, for Mayor Veer here. She's likely starting to wonder if she even needs to be here for this conversation. Nobody's even let her say a word yet. Uh, <laughs> we did clear this ahead of time. We'd have a couple questions for Mayor Nenshi, but I appreciate your patience in getting into this. Uh, let, let's move our focus now to the region of, of central Alberta, the, the, the population center uh, that is Red Deer, of course, which we know is, is it represents many more people than simply those people living in Red Deer proper. Why is this so significant specifically to central Alberta? Well, it is specific to the, our community in the region that we serve, which is about 400,000 Albertans. Um, but the position uh, that we, all four of us mayors have taken is that this issue is really about all Albertans. Uh, this is not just a consolidation of dispatch that will have impact on the regions that we uh, respectfully serve, uh, but it, it, it really truly affects every Albertan. 
Moving from seven emergency dispatch centers uh, that serve Albertan, all 4.4 million Albertans down to three, means that the emergency 911 calls that we take at our centers, there's approximately 175,000 to 200,000 calls a year that will now go from uh, seven center, from the four satellite centers that we represent to the three uh, HS centers. Um, I, I think specifically for Red Deer in Central Alberta, uh, one of the greatest challenges is uh, that Mayor Nancy highlighted is that our fire trucks, our advanced life support fire medics arrive at our emergency calls 40% of the time they're first on scene. And in an emergency, and anyone who's had to call 911 uh, certainly knows what this is like, is it doesn't matter who shows up, you just want timely emergency response. There are many times um, when the governance transfer of ambulance service moved from municipalities to AHS in 2009, there was a promise that there would be no degradation of service. Uh, but municipalities across this province have gone on public record and have attested to the fact that there has been a degradation of service. Um, that the, you know, there's times in our municipality where, uh, in our community and region where ambulances are tied up at the hospital, in emergency, in the emergency room, where uh, there's times where an ambulance is 20 to 25 minutes away in another community. And when you call 911, uh, right now what would happen is, is our dispatch crews would look at the screen and see that there is no ambulance that's in close proximity. So they would send a fire truck to begin uh, advancing life-saving care. But the other point, uh, besides the sort of the, the pressure that this will put on, uh, on a cut to an emergency response system, um, is, is the fact that uh, there are 39 other Alberta communities who've gone on public record to date who said that they should have fought harder with us in 2013 when they were part of a previous consolidation. And the fact that the, the four satellite centers that we have now are the final uh, consolidation that the province of Alberta is intent on doing at this point, um, I think it's a concern for all Albertans. We only have to look at other provinces in our federation that have gone the road of consolidated dispatch. BC has had tragic life and death uh, responses. There's external reports that are recommending a return to the regional dispatch system to the coordination of fire and ambulance. Uh, and there's cases in Ontario where there are actually now are shifting back to the regional model. This is life and death for all Albertans and we don't have to make this mistake. Uh, we're asking the, the province to pause and review this in the interest of Albertans. I mean, you wanna talk life and death, you talk to anybody that's that's waited for an ambulance as a loved one is unconscious or is, or is not breathing. And you know that, that, I mean, you talk to any first responder, 90 seconds either way uh, can be huge, not just with regards to survival, but with regards to lasting impact uh, things like brain damage, et cetera. Uh, Mayor Nenshi, let, let me ask you to, to let, me, let me not say dumb it down, but, but make this a little bit more accessible for the, for the average everyday person that doesn't dig into Hansard for the records of what happens at the legislature that's not maybe hyper involved in politics every day. You know, we know uh, per the letter released by these four mayors, including the two of you, uh, four previous ministers of health from different political parties in Alberta have overturned what you call, uh, what your mayors call a reckless plan in the past. Uh, the current health minister tyler shandro has indicated that this will not be the case there will not be five health ministers in a row that that turn this over uh, so you're now appealing to the premier i suppose and, and you're referencing what the conservatives said in opposition in 2016 that this would not be something they might consider uh, in layperson's language what is this all about 
Is 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 this the perception that there will be cost savings and that it's worth it? The risks that this may mean for municipalities is is this political ideology? Is is this a disagreement or a squabble between the municipalities and the province? I mean, in plain language, what does this break down to? Well, it's super frustrating because I believe in evidence based decision making. I believe in data, and if I saw any evidence that showed that this would actually improve service then I would reverse my position. If I saw any evidence that it would actually save money, I would reverse my position. But the strange thing about this is that the only analysis that was done that I'm aware of is a study by the Alberta Health Quality Council, and I think it was 2013, right, Tara? Something like that, um, that looked at this from a very technical perspective of how ambulances are dispatched. And that study actually said that it's not looking at response time because maybe that extra 90 seconds doesn't make a difference. And that's really been AHS's point of view, that they don't really much care about response time. They don't much care about the firefighters. They just want to control this one aspect of the health system that is not currently under their control. And usually in government and politics, that sort of thing doesn't get you very far. You actually, as cynical as people might be, you actually have to prove your case. And in this case, it just hasn't been proven. And as Tara said, and Tara has been really taking the lead on this along with Mayor Don Scott and Mayor Spearman that you'll be talking to later. But Mayor Veer and the others have really pointed out that in places like Foothills County outside of Calgary, in places like Airdrie and Chestermere, when they went through this consolidation, they saw a significant degradation of service. And the argument we get back when we make that argument to the province is, yeah, but, you know, people don't really have adverse effects or die, even if the service is worse. Now, uh, Mayor Veer may want to jump in on the next question, but they say they're going to save about $7 million, which is an infinitesimal tiny piece of the AHS budget. But they've never shown us where that came from. We've asked over and over again, where's your data? You've done it in much of the province. So show us where the cost savings were and show us where service was not degraded. And they've never shared that data. And every time we ask, they seem surprised that we're asking yet again. And so I have zero faith that they're actually going to save the money they're saying. And the minister tells us over and over again, it's not about the money while saying, but we're going to save money. So it's very difficult to follow the bouncing ball on this. Yeah. And and let me just say, like, the $7 million is a lot of money if you're talking about an individual or a small business. Uh, $7 million is a lot of money, period. But when you're talking about uh, just a health budget of approximately $25 billion, in other words, $25,000 million, uh, $7 million uh, that raises the ire of at least four municipalities really is, you know, I don't want to have the pull quote be Jesperson calls $7 million a drop in the bucket, but realistically it is. Uh, Mayor Veer, you know, my understanding is a big part of this. I want to give you an opportunity to follow up on what Mayor Nancy just said. But but another big understanding of this to me is 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 the loss of local understanding of even things like when we're, when you're talking about range roads or you're trying to direct an ambulance or a fire truck somewhere. If you don't have a local dispatch operator, you run into problems there. Uh, another understanding of mine here, correct me if I'm wrong, is that this means that that fire trucks essentially stay in the stable. Uh, well, ambulances are dispatched. So so it looks to me to be not just a consolidation of dispatch, but also uh, with regards to the model of service delivery, some curious moves here. Yeah, I, I, I think that there's three parts to unpack there. So just picking up on on what is the government's rationale uh, for this change? 
uh, concur with Mayor Nancy, really there's been mixed messaging. On one hand, Minister Chandra has said it's about patient outcomes. Um, but on two very important points, we've proved uh, that it's it cannot be reasonably stated that it is about patient outcomes because it means a reduced uh, patient care response in the regions that we serve, but it also means, uh, means a downward of pressure for every Albertan across the province. You cannot uh, move 200,000 emergency calls uh, to only three centres, uh, additional calls to only three centres and say that that's about patient outcomes, especially given the fact that communities that have gone through this before or have already gone on public record saying the commitments that were made by AHS uh, were not upheld. So it's not in the interest of patient outcomes. In terms of the financial scenario, um, you know, the government speculates, we have an internal government memo that indicates that they had budgeted for this. Uh, and then the Ernst & Young report of, uh, was released indicating that they may save approximately five to $6 million in the first year. We have proved from our four municipalities alone that we actually subsidize the healthcare system by sending the fire trucks first to the tune of about $12.3 million a year because we're, we're sending the fire trucks as medical first response. So it can't be about patient outcomes and it can't be about the money. And in fact, Red Deer, Lethbridge and regional municipality Wood Buffalo have offered to pay for it. Um, be, because of the unique circumstances that we're in. So it can't be about the money. So that begs the question, what then is it about? Um, you know, and I think that that's for the government to answer. Uh, the second point that I think is important to make is four previous ministers of health overturned it. But there are members in cabinet right now who, when the former provincial government uh, was, was looking at making uh, this change, they stood up uh, in the legislature and, and expressed concern for degradation of service. And those uh, members are now sitting at the cabinet table. Uh, and this is inconsistent with the principles uh, that have been outlined uh, by the Premier's commitment to work with local government uh, to reduce government red tape. Uh, but certainly commitment in principle from other members of cabinet and we have an MLAs across the province who've indicated uh, they've gone on public record before, um, uh, particularly members uh, of, of, of the former caucus uh, who have said that they, that they disagree with this change. Um, to get to your final question there with respect to, you know, the importance of local knowledge. This is not just, um, you know, this isn't about partisanship or politics or the money or, uh, you know, fear of change and, and what if. We have actual real life examples from our municipalities that show AHS mapping errors because the municipal mapping is more specific where AHS had, you know, we have recent examples from this fall where AHS had um, used a pinpoint in Red Deer when actually uh, the regional dispatch, our dispatchers picked up on the error and actually the it was on the Red Deer River in Sundry, not in Red Deer. Um, there's been mapping errors in the regional municipality of Wood Buffalo and that cost four minutes on a stroke patient. Um, and as you pointed out, Ryan, those are critical in the chain of survival. Mm -hmm. You know, and every elected official needs to learn that, you, you know, sometimes you face plans that, that look good on paper, but you have to listen to your expertise on the ground. And fire uh, medics, firefighters across this province uh, are, are, are with us on this issue uh, because they, re they recognize in the chain of survival, whether it's 30 seconds or four minutes, that's absolutely critical uh, to patient outcomes, not just in terms of their survival, but their patient outcomes 
uh, those four minutes for a stroke patient um, make a significant difference in terms of quality of life. Uh, Mayor Nenshi, that uh, you know, I've I've over the course of the, of the last year, um, with, with a slight interruption for a couple of months when I stepped away from a microphone, uh, I've had an opportunity to to speak with mayors and reeves from across the province of Alberta, and I have never seen such a consensus position on the existing relationship between municipal governments and the provincial government. Uh, some have protested quite loudly. Uh, if I might point out from conservative hotbeds um, about concerns that they have about property taxes that are being forgiven on behalf of big oil and gas producers and the implication that has on municipalities bottom lines. We've seen city councilors, mayors and Reeves push back very strongly about changes to Alberta's municipal elections and, and what they fear, what the landscape might look like with regards to third party advertising and funding, personal donations and what they're suspecting may be provincial meddling or PAC meddling, political action committee meddling in the municipal election. Um, I'm certainly curious to know your take on the status of, of Calgary's ambitious green line, the transit project that has the procurement uh, has been placed on pause uh, by the provincial government. Uh, and now we're now seeing some pushback from some Calgary business voices that have been provided platforms uh, in media outlets like Post Media to argue against the viability of, of the green line. Uh, example after example after example of what members of the public like me might perceive to be a concerning and strained relationship between the municipalities and the province mayor veer says well if it's if it's not improving the quality if it's not really the the money argument that makes sense then what is it it's got to be something else i mean how concerned should albertans be i mean is there dysfunction uh, between the municipalities and the provincial government in your estimation is is, is this a matter of, of of an ideological position where the provincial government is, is looking to slap back on municipalities and and encourage them to i don't know recognize their role Oh boy. So we got another hour for that, right? We do. Um, we there's do. A, there's a long, uh, there's a long, long conversation there, Ryan, that goes beyond uh, the 911 conversation, but I'll, I'll summarize it as, as quickly as I can in my own opinion, which is when this government was first elected, um, they were elected on sort of a beat our chests and, you know, take our rightful place and make a lot of enemies. And I remember saying uh, to the new municipal affairs minister, who is no longer the municipal affairs minister, when she was first elected, look, in the Department of Municipal Affairs, you have kind of four big stakeholders, Calgary, Edmonton, the urban municipalities, uh, which is mostly the mid-sized cities like the ones you're speaking to today, and the rural areas. And generations of municipal affairs ministers have made their uh, made their career by playing those off one another. But when you manage to get all four of them angry at you simultaneously, that's a rare feat because we don't always get along uh, with one another. Uh, but that's really what we saw with this government. Uh, now, I will tell you that when COVID happened, uh, to their credit, the provincial government saw that they actually needed friends, not enemies. Uh, and in my opinion, anyway, worked very well with the city of Calgary through the COVID restrictions, despite some of their mixed messaging. But in terms of helping us uh, implement some of the work that they were talking about uh, on the COVID file. And I think that's helped the relationship. Uh, to be very honest, getting rid of the previous Minister of Municipal Affairs helped the relationship a lot because he had either in his own mind or been given a mandate, who knows, just decided to make enemies of everyone. And um, so we are seeing some change here. 
I remain very concerned. Uh, those who have followed me over the years know that campaign finance reform and free and fair elections are a really important part of me, even before I was mayor. And I am extremely concerned that the residual elements of trying to take over municipal governments remain in the current campaign finance reform legislation as we're going into the 2021 elections. But I do feel, and I'd be really interested in Tara's thoughts on this, I do feel they backed off a little bit on their all-out war with the municipalities, but some vestiges remain. I don't know if this 911 issue is part of that. Yeah, and, and I want to let Mayor Veer respond to that. I, w- I will point out that w- when you said the mayor, or, or rather the Minister of Municipal Affairs, who is no longer the Minister of Municipal Affairs, I had to wait and see uh, until you said he or she who you were talking about, because there's obviously been a disruption in that ministry twice uh, with Casey Madu, uh being dismissed as part of that cabinet shuffle. And then, of course, Tracy Allard now moved out as, as part of the Aloha controversy. Uh, mayor Veer, what does that do to the stability of the relationship or the continuing of the communication? And what do you make of what Mayor Nancy just said? I think, it, you know, fundamentally, I always believe in, in trying to govern in relationships. So regardless uh, of a government, uh, you know, we're duly elected by the people, the provincial government are du- is duly elected uh, by the people. So try to, you know, ra- wave my community's flag and represent uh, my community in relationship with, with whomever uh, the people have put there. Um, I will say that I think that the pace of legislation uh, and some of the substantial components of legislation that has come has made it difficult for municipalities to be able to respond with the thoroughness uh, and and with the due diligence that we normally would like to to anticipate the intended consequences and and sometimes unintended consequences. I concur with Mayor Nenshi that I think COVID has brought people together. I mean, mean, certainly it's, it's... We've seen uh, the consequences of social division in some respects uh, because the the pandemic has affected people all in different ways. Um, But I do think that there has been a sort of a coalescing around uh, governments need to work together in the interest of the people. That doesn't mean that we're without our frustrations in that. With respect to the, uh, just bringing it back to the 911 dispatch issue, um, even though I think there's been more of a, a, at least an attempt to to build a bit of a bridge with respect to pandemic uh, response, I I think 911 uh, dispatch has been very frustrating for us on a relational level because Mm -hmm. there's a very rare opportunity uh, for the provincial government and for, it's very rare that we see this urban rural unity in Alberta on an issue. Um, So this isn't just our four municipalities. We have support from um, members of the Midsize Caucus, you know, which is the regional hub communities uh, and and the Midsize Centers. We have support from uh, the the smaller towns, villages and and counties surrounding us. Alberta Urban Municipalities Association has gone on public record supporting us, uh, seeing, you know, that local government, regional government matters in this issue. Uh, regional uh, rural municipality association has gone on public record supporting us in this uh, because this this in particular has a significant impact uh, to rural health care uh, so there there is a rare opportunity and it's rare that we see this unity of of the metro centers uh, in in Edmonton and Calgary uh, with respect to midsize caucus uh, and rural Alberta coming together on an issue uh, and if the government isn't ready, uh, the way it stands right now, they they are intent on flipping the switch, and this will have impact to all 4.4 million Albertans uh, beginning on Tuesday. And we may not see the full consequences right away, 
Uh, but mark my words, we all unequivocally want to go on public record that we dispute this. We do not have to go down the path of other provinces who are now regretting their, their dispatch consolidation. And we truly are sounding the alarm, um, indicating that this will affect us all. And if the government isn't ready to say, uh, you know, this week they stood up and, and said that they want to rebuild trust with Albertans, this is a prime opportunity for them to say, look, with the unrest and the concern over this issue, even if they're not ready to, to overturn HS, they could just say, look, we're going to pause and we're going to review this with some due diligence and hear what the people are saying. Uh, we have had hundreds and hundreds of uh, letters that were submitted to the Minister of Health and to the Premier and to review it and to follow through on their commitment to say that, that they want to rebuild trust with Albertans. This is a great place uh, for the provincial government to start. Yeah, that's well played. And Ryan, Ryan if, I may, if I may jump in on that, I yeah. think what maybe we haven't made clear to everyone is this is happening right now. The first consolidation happens next week. And then they happen over the course of the next few weeks I mean, uh, on February 26th uh, or January 26th here in Calgary, for example. And I don't think AHS is ready. You know, we just learned yesterday about massive transition issues that they actually have no plan. Let me say that again. They have no plan on how they will manage calls that need to go to the police there's no call transfer. There's no call evaluation of the call. There's no process in place. They will call the police at their discretion if they think the police are, go, are needed. This is absolutely backwards, uh, and it is breaking what is, in fact, a world-leading system of making sure people get the help they need at the moment they need it. And I don't think AHS and the provincial government, in the middle of a pandemic, when they've got other things to worry about, are anywhere close to ready. And, you know, I heard this morning that in London, England, the ambulance system is stretched to capacity because of their third wave of COVID. And they've had to bring in drivers to take people to the hospital because the ambulances are full. And this is the moment that the Alberta government chooses to make this transition when they're not ready and they don't have the systems in place. It's, it's unthinkable to me. I've, I've received a letter from a physician that's painted a very clear picture. I don't, I don't want to take our time here with you, uh, mayors, and we have two other mayors uh, in the bullpen right now ready to go, but uh, I'm going to read this physician's letter. Uh, it, 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 what, what doctors on the front lines are being told to tell families uh, indicative of the strain on our ICUs and our hospital capacity right now is shocking. It's nothing shy of shocking, and people should be paying attention to that. Mayor Nancy, I think you make a good point that uh, change in the midst of a pandemic is a difficult one it's why albertans pushed back on the government picking a fight with doctors uh the government i think that the citizens of alberta are aware of the fact that we may need to discuss compensation but doing it in the middle of a pandemic is a completely different landscape it just doesn't feel right uh let me ask you mayor nancy this is uh you know this is a question uh, you know i often ask uh, listeners I, I ask it candidly um you know what would the conspiracy theory be here i mean uh, when we actually get down to it i mean you know if you say well the government's moving to you know doctors uh, talking to patients over an app you say well who owns the app and who's connected to that company and who stands to make money here i mean these are the types of questions we want to ask you always follow the money if this doesn't improve service delivery if it doesn't save money aside from you know seven million in a budget of 25 billion why like what's the conspiracy theory here what's what's the dots that people may need to start connecting 
I'm no good at conspiracy theory. Um, you know, when you talk to Mayor Spearman and Mayor Scott, oh, they're good at conspiracy theory. No, okay, good. We'll go there next. Silly. But uh, but um, what I will say is that you know sometimes when you study public policy, there are various models of how change happens in government, and sometimes the public policy is simply driven by bureaucratic inertia. And I kind of think that's what's happened here. AHS has wanted this. They've wanted control over it for so very long. You know, it's not like the labs where you can talk about Dynalife or whatever if you're a conspiracy theorist. They've just wanted control over this for so long. And I think you got a new government in that needed to show they were serious about healthcare reform. And they just blindly accepted what AHS was saying, what Ernst & Young, well, that Ernst & Young report on the future of the healthcare system, at least in this chapter, was just a transcription of what AHS has wanted uh, for all this time without any analysis done. And so I think what happened is you have a government that just didn't ask the right questions. And in the middle of a pandemic had a lot of other things on its mind. Those previous four health ministers pushed back on AHS, asked some questions and went, well, this makes no sense. And I think this government just didn't. Sue is watching if in. I, yeah, please do go ahead, Mary. Can I jump in on that, Ryan? Yep. Um, so, so look, 30 years ago, Alberta was lauded and actually sought after in Canada for our leadership as a province around having advanced life support, uh, integrated public ambulance and, and fire integrated response. So we were lauded for that as a province. Over time, uh, we've seen an erosion, uh, and again, in the in the past, uh, the governance transition, which occurred in 2009, and then the dispatch consolidations, which uh, began uh, shortly thereafter, and which we've we've sort of seen staggered consolidations. We've shifted from an advanced life support integrated public system to a uh, more siloed approach to emer emergency response, otherwise known as pre-hospital care. Uh, so a siloed separation between fire and ambulance, uh, which I will unequivocally say is not in the public interest, to basic life support, because basic life support is cheaper than advanced life support. Um, you know, so the question remains, you know, on the question of public or private or some sort of hybrid system, we don't really, we can't speculate on that because we don't have the answers to that. Like Mayor Nenshi had said, we, we don't really have a clear answer. If we could get a clear answer, you, you know, we're amenable to persuasion. If we could get a clear answer on how this is in the interest of patient outcomes. We've disproved uh, that they're going to save money uh, in the interest of Albertans. So if it truly is about patient outcomes, if if there would be some transparency around that, then, you know, we're open to persuasion on that. Um, but again, what's, what is the ultimate end game, particularly when you look uh, at the other provinces that are now moving back to a regional model? Um, it does beg the question of what's next. And I think why this is a particular concern for all Albertans is community because we're the last satellite centers. So once once municipalities are, uh, this will mark the end of municipalities being in EMS integration. Hmm. And so there are always, from a public policy perspective, there's always your intended consequences, but there's always unintended consequences as well. And and I don't think we have clear accountability and transparency around. One, what are those intended consequences? And two, to Mayor Nenshi's point, 
Has the government asked the right questions around the unintended consequences? Uh, and I don't think that they've done that. And uh, that, that I think, is really what's at stake here, is the fact that we are the final consolidation. Uh, and so I think that it really is the end of integrated, uh, integrated service as we once knew it. Uh, it's, the, it's the end of the standard of advanced life support response to emergency scenes as we once knew it as a province. Uh, and, you know, on, on that third element, that remains to be seen. Um, but that's for the province to answer. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that the arguments that are being made by, by you two mayors and what we're going to hear from Mayor Scott and Spearman in just a moment as well, I'm sure are compelling uh, reasons why this might appear to be a no-brainer decision to reverse this to hit pause on this but if there's one thing i've learned in uh, covering politics for close to 20 years is that no-brainers aren't always no-brainers it depends on the office that you occupy I-, I will suggest that if this is proven to be a bad move the cost of reintegrating or reopening uh, remote uh, or satellite centers uh, w- would be prohibitive as compared to the cost of keeping it open right now i think that's obvious uh, viewers right now sue says when alberta health services is struggling as is to handle the pandemic and vaccinations why on earth would we want to change ambulance service as well this is is completely nonsensical marco says you know this type of austerity over common sense uh will ruin this province luke says here's the lesson for me luke says it's important to contact our mlas on every issue including 911 dispatch not just when we're mad they travel to hawaii that from luke who's watching in live uh, i do need to get to the other two mayors mayor nancy let me ask you this because i have you here right now um it's one of the top stories when it comes to provincial infrastructure certainly it's very important and of great interest to the people of calgary i won't say the entire city's on board with the green line but i know a lot of people are eagerly anticipating it uh, for purposes of background for our audience, about a five and a half billion dollar project, it's estimated it would lead to about 12,000 jobs. The province has committed to about a billion and a half of that total construction supposed to begin this summer. But uh, the provinces, uh, including Minister Rick McIver, who's run for mayor in Calgary before, uh, saying that they're hitting pause on the procurement uh, progress. Uh, can you bring us up to speed with regards to where we're at today on the Green Line file? Yeah, basically what you just said. Um, the Green Line is a huge project. It would essentially double the LRT uh, infrastructure in Calgary. It's by far the largest job creation uh, project that we've got. We need the jobs now. The City of Calgary and our funding partners at the Government of Canada have done a ton of work and a ton of analysis. We're very confident that we're ready to go. The Government of Alberta, again, has a bunch of questions, but we don't know the analysis it's based on. They've never shared it. We don't understand where their concerns are coming from. It's $1.5 billion for them. So fair, let's uh, have a really good conversation about it. So we're doing a little bit of market sounding to test some of their assumptions at the moment, but this thing's getting built. And Minister McIver championed this when he was on Calgary City Council. Uh, It might be paused for a little while, but we got to get moving because we need those jobs and it will, in fact, get built. And uh, before we let you go, Ryan, I know we're way over time. I'm just going to plug one thing, which is you're about to talk to uh, Mayor Scott and Mayor Spearman. And I want to say a special thank you to Mayor Chris Spearman. He announced yesterday that he is not running for re-election and he has been a tremendous leader, not just on this file, but on so much supervised consumption, housing for the people of Alberta. And I just want to say thank you to him. Really appreciate uh, uh, both of your uh, committing time to us this morning. Uh, Mayor Nenshi, Nahed Nenshi out of Calgary, Mayor Tara Veer out of Red Deer, uh, wishing you both a good weekend. And, and thanks again for joining us on Real Talk.
Thanks so much, Ryan. Congratulations on the new show. Thank you. I appreciate that, Mayor. Uh, I love this comment from uh, Jim. (laughs) Jim Jim is bang on on the YouTube comments. Uh, This is one of our favorite parts of the show, by the way. And you know we keep the comment thread in. Uh, So if you're watching, uh, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel. Encourage you to do that and and ring the bell so it lets you know every time we're live. Sometimes we have special broadcast events in the middle of the afternoon, for example. Uh, But but whether you watch the, the YouTube broadcast here of Real Talk Live or whether you watch it uh, hours or days or months later, you'll still be able to see what viewers were saying in real time. And I talked about no brainers. This decision is a no brainer. And Jim says, you know, there are no brainers and there are like no brainers, (laughs) depending on the emphasis. Uh, And Jim's absolutely bang on on that. Mayors uh, Chris Spearman and uh, Don Scott in just a moment want to remind you right now that when it comes to the community of Real Talk Builders, Eden Landscaping is one that we're really proud uh, to welcome to the fold. They've joined us here in the new year, and they know that this is the type of year that you're going to start thinking about improving your space, whether it's a front yard, a backyard, wherever you find your oasis, Eden Landscaping at landscapeedmonton.ca has been in the game for more than 20 years. They can design a project anywhere in Canada. Utilizing Zoom, they're adapting just like everybody else. They use Google Earth. Uh, Many homeowners have spent the lockdown months staring at their yards wanting a change, but you don't know where to start. Start with Eden Landscaping at landscapeedmonton.ca. We're also thrilled to welcome the team at Grand Dog Essentials to the family. We know a bunch of you are tuning in from Calgary this morning. A bunch of you in Red Deer just saw your mayor speaking. And then, of course, we're broadcasting out of Edmonton. Well, Grand Dog Essentials, with their quality raw food, operate in all three of those city centers. They're family-owned and they offer weekly doorstop delivery. I can tell you it's great. I can tell you it's reliable. I can tell you they're trustworthy because my family has been doing business with Grand Dog uh, for years now. We trust them to feed our Moses and our Monroe. Raw dog food provides natural, real nutrition without preservatives or filler. And if you use the promo code REALTALK on their website, uh, you can check them out at granddog.ca. The discount code REALTALK will give you 10% off first-time orders. Also wanted to give a shout-out to Kubi Energy, one of our newest partners here on the show. Very excited to add them to the mix. Kubi Energy employees install solar systems for customers. Every one of them, the employees, that is, are certified electricians, which means that you can trust their craftsmanship. It also means that Kubi Energy is employing Alberta and BC certified tradespeople. Uh, It's owner-operated, which means Jake and Adam, their owners, both work as full-time employees. They've come out of the industrial oil sector and the mining industry in Alberta and BC, respectively, now in the solar game. You'll get to know them in weeks to come. And we want to let you know on Monday, we're rolling out a brand new segment presented by Kubi Energy, focusing on the good news stories. If you have a good news story you think we should hear, send it to us at talk at ryanjesperson.com. Make sure you put Kubi Energy in the subject line. All right. We've got our uh, mayors ready to go here out of the regional municipality of Wood Buffalo. Uh, Mayor Don Scott and uh, out of the beautiful city of Lethbridge, Alberta, Mayor Chris Spearman. Uh, Gentlemen, first of all, uh, as my conversation with mayors uh, Veer and Nenshi went into overtime, I want to thank you for your patience. And I'd like to welcome you to Real Talk this morning. Thanks for being here with us. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thanks very much. Big fan of the show. Well, thank you, Mayor. Yep. I appreciate that. Uh, Mayor Spear, let me start with you because you just had some kind words, and I hope that you heard them from uh, your colleague in Calgary, Mayor Nenshi, who congratulated you on a wonderful career. I've, I've seen congratulations uh, from elected representatives at different levels of government. Following your announcement, you will not seek re-election. Uh, we'll talk ambulances in just a moment, but, but what led to this decision, and was it a difficult one for you? Uh, it wasn't a, dis- a difficult one. Uh, I've had 26 years of public service. Uh, I've served 18 years on the uh, Catholic school board here in Lethbridge and eight years as mayor. Uh, it's been uh, fantastic, but um, I'm a few years beyond the normal retirement age now. And uh, I think 2020 sort of brought home uh, the importance of spending time with family. Uh, you know, like everybody else, I uh, haven't seen my kids and grandkids for uh, most of 2020. And uh, I think I need to do better things with my time and uh, in terms of uh, how I spend my remaining future years. Oh, beautiful. Um, Just to be clear, that's one of the coolest uh, Zoom backgrounds that we've seen now broadcasting about six weeks in. Uh, That is, is, is that properly called the Lethbridge Viaduct? Is that what we're seeing behind you there? Yes, it is. It was completed in 1909, so it's over. You know, it's more than 110 years old, uh, and it's certainly operational now. And we're starting now to try to experiment with growing palm trees in the uh, in the river valley. The climate is so good, so. Pretty soon you won't be able to tell whether you're in Hawaii, Mexico, or Lethbridge. <laughs> which, which, is, which is great because then everybody can just be off the hook. Uh, let, hey, let me ask you this. I did I did actually, we, we did agree with, with with representatives here. I mean, obviously I, ha- I had to ask Mayor Nenshi about his chief of staff. That, that question demanded to be asked. Um, but we did, I made a commitment to your teams that we did want to focus uh, on, on ambulatory coverage of the province and on the 911 call centers. But, but mayors, with your permission, number one, I'd like to take this a little bit past 10 o'clock clock if either of you have to go i understand but but mayor scott let me ask you about let me ask you about this i mean this there has been a real uh i think a violation of the public trust at different levels of government i'm talking municipal provincial and federal and i'm talking across party lines we've seen federal ndp nikki ashton of the ndp we've seen federal liberals uh we've seen provincial conservatives we've seen you get the idea Uh, we're starting to wonder who didn't travel internationally uh uh, through these winter months uh mayor scott how, how how do you as an elected official here ensure that the people of the rmwb and wood buffalo and fort mcmurray trust you i mean what has this done when it comes to the foundations of public trust yeah people are incredibly angry there's uh, there's a feeling that there's been a double standard imposed you know the people that are talking about the rules aren't following them so it's uh, it's been a very frustrating experience to see those in power not follow the rules. Uh, one of our local MLAs is one of the ones who is uh, in Mexico. I'm not sure if he's back yet, but Tani Yao. So we've heard a lot of anger about Tani Yao. And uh, it's just very, very frustrating, I can say, going forward. I uh, used to be an MLA previously and, uh, you know, not only dealt with these kind of issues, but, you know, I've seen uh, frustrated residents. But this level of anger and frustration, I don't think I've experienced in, uh, in my time since being elected. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's good that uh, elected officials pay attention to this. They need to do better. Everybody does. Yeah. Chris, have you have you seen anything like this at all? I almost feel like uh, across party lines. I mean, I've, I've got friends that that I would describe as right wingers and I've got friends I would describe as left wingers and they're equally pissed about this. I mean, have you seen anything like this in recent memory? Uh, I haven't. And I, I think it's uh, I think it's a healthy thing. Hmm. Uh, our our MLA 
Nathan Newdorf was wrongly accused of being in uh, Hawaii because he happens to own a, a rental property there. But uh, I have, you know, the anger against uh, the provincial government initially and then against all uh, uh, politicians is justified. We do have to uh, follow our own rules. We can't be above them. And we just lose all credibility. And if we if we can't do that, I saw um, you mentioned uh, you had a discussion with Mayor Nenshi and Mayor Veer about uh, the relationship between municipal government and uh, provincial government. And it was a great article by a fellow by the name of Ken Boisenkohl. Yeah, He was uh, an advisor to Stephen Harper. And it's called Advice to the Next Chief of Staff. And he talks about how the government of Alberta has to mend the relationship with municipalities uh, in order to establish credibility going forward. So we all have to work together. And we all have to uh, make sure that we're following the rules and that we're conveying the same information to our citizens. Uh, Mayor Scott, what with regards to the 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 uh, you know the closure of these uh, these dispatch centers, these satellite centers, when it comes to nine one one service, um, specific. Hey, first of all, let me ask you this: uh, when I, when I say something like uh, you know uh, the honorable or his worship Don Scott is the mayor of the regional municipality of Wood Buffalo, and then I say let's call it Fort McMurray, uh, give me is that is that a is that like do the people of Fort do the people of the regional municipality of Wood Buffalo go excuse me like is that kind of an no, offense no. just so I know or can I call you the mayor of Fort McMurray. You know what? Uh, the the common slogan up here is Fort McMurray Wood Buffalo. That's okay. What every Fort McMurray Wood by. Buffalo. So, so let me ask you, what does this mean for the people of Fort McMurray Wood Buffalo? Like on, on a ground level, what are you most concerned about with regards to these, these pending changes? It's going to be a degradation of service. Uh, one of the statistics that we have shown the government time and time again is that 90% of the time, uh, our ambulances are 90% faster than the AHS dispatches. So if if people have a heart attack, they have a stroke, they want the best service, they want the best medical care, then the AHS system is going to be slower. So AHS has never responded to that. They've never given us an answer. Uh, they turn around, pat us on the head and say, everything will be fine. Don't worry, it's going to be great. And just given everything that I think every... Albertan has seen with AHS, you can't necessarily accept that at face value. We need, they need to do a lot better and they should pause this transition among many other things, but they need to take a hard look at this whole move. I, I really, the best move that could be made is the premier could do what every other health minister has done and quash the decision, reverse it. It's not too late. It can still be done. Uh, if that's not done, then at least pause the decision so they at least have it right, that they're giving us the answers that we should have. Mayor, you say that they should hit pause on this. Uh, Mayor Scott, uh, hit pause on this among many other things. What are the other things they should hit pause on? Yeah, there's uh, there's an endless list of frustrations that this region is experiencing. Uh, I think my colleagues touched upon many of them, but we have a very frustrating relationship with uh, the province right now. We're trying to get land uh there was obviously a big flood up here. We're not getting uh, the movement that we'd like to see on that. We'd like to get infrastructure built. We're just not getting the answers that we would like to get. Uh, yet the decisions that they are making are putting us in a tougher financial bind. They imposed a new rule tax-wise on us that puts us down to something called a five-to-one tax ratio. Uh, what it essentially does is puts us in a much more difficult position tax-wise going forward. So the decisions that, you know, really uh, put us in a hard position, they're very quick to make. 
the decisions that will benefit the people that live in this region, they are slow to respond to. So it's very frustrating. Uh, Mayor Spearman, uh, down in, in, in Lethbridge, obviously, I think, you know, uh, Southern Albertans will, will, will see Lethbridge as the population center there, not unlike the role that Red Deer plays, I think, in central Alberta. Uh, what are the implications? Are there specific implications uh, with regards to the impact that you're foreseeing this having on, on Lethbridge, or at least with regards to potentially the realization of your fears of what it could mean? Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, back in 2015, the government of the day, the Conservative government, brought out the, uh, the rural health study. Uh, that was uh, uh, chaired by Dr. Richard Stark. I think he was your guest on Monday. Yeah, he was. And uh, so uh, it said then that EMS dispatch was failing and had failed uh, uh, rural, rural Alberta. Uh, why the, there really have been no improvements in in uh, in EMS dispatch, one of the big challenges is there's no accountability. And they want to impose a system that is not coordinated with other services. They want to isolate ambulance response from fire response, from police response. In many cases, you need uh, fire response and ambulance response. Sometimes you need uh, police response when, uh, let's say, domestic violence situations. Uh, Those are uh, those services need to be coordinated and they need to be coordinated from a municipal dispatch center. The government refuses to listen. We've offered to pay for the service, uh, remove the justification that was identified in the Ernst & Young study. The bottom line is that the, uh, the current system works. Why change something that's not broken? and move to something that will serve Albertans in a much poorer way. Chris, let so, me ask you, let me ask you in plain language. I, I asked Mayor Nenshi and Veer the same thing. Why do you think that this is happening? What, what, what's the, it's, it's not to save money. It's not to be more efficient. So why is it happening? I'd only speculate and I, you know, I may not be right, but uh, the government was elected with a large landslide and that was 20 months ago, but we have to recognize these are largely rookie governors. Um, very, very limited experience at the provincial level. Um, and I think they've come in and they want to show who's boss. That was the message we were getting from the former municipal affairs minister. He didn't operate like the, uh, Mr. Madhu didn't operate like the minister of municipal affairs. He acted like he was the boss of the municipalities. And uh, I think we do have to have a positive cooperative relationship between municipalities and the provincial government. Uh, this, you know, we, we've, we've heard the provincial government humbled in the last week. Um, Mr. Kenny, our premier, says things are going to change. And I would say to Mr. Kenny, if things are going to change, ambulance dispatch would be the first example that you could prove to Albertans that you mean what you say. If they move forward with an unprepared system on Tuesday, which provides a lower level of service, um, Mr. Kenny's words fall on deaf ears. Mayor Scott, do you, I mean, have you had the same experience with regards to, I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Fort McMurray is like its own, it's like its own region uh, within the, I mean, that's hardly profound what I'm saying here, but just with regards to the implications of industry and climate policy and taxation and employment and, and interprovincial travel of, of temporary workers. I mean, Fort McMurray, uh, you, you, we have seen documentaries on Fort McMurray and we could probably do 10 more. Uh, how would you characterize? I mean, we, we talked about the lack of consultation with this government. Mayor Spearman just spelled it out on this file. Uh, we've heard about it on the parks file recently. We've heard about it on campaign 
funding in municipal elections, meddling by way of Bill 21. I mean, there's example after example. Have you seen that in your neck of the woods, so to speak? Yeah, I can give you lots of examples. And just to remind uh, everyone who's watching, the size of Fort McMurray and this municipality, we're bigger than Nova Scotia. Yeah. So that, that puts it in context. And we have the oil sands, of course. We have indigenous communities. We have several rural communities. Uh, the next nearest ambulance dispatch is three and a half hours away. So we are a monstrous municipality. And there is universal opposition to this move. Uh, the indigenous communities are against it. The oil sands communities have been against it. Uh, obviously, our municipality is strongly opposed to it. So there is universal opposition. I just, uh, it, it's just the wrong move. When Minister Shander was up here just talking about consultation on his last visit, uh, he didn't even tell us he was coming. He slid in and out of the region, never even mentioned it to us. And that was a real opportunity to engage me and explain to me one-on-one -on -one why he thought this made sense. And it was just before Christmas. And, you know, it was just disappointing that he would come to the region, not even tell us that he was coming to the region. He went to an event and then left. And, uh, you know, we found out after the fact. So it's, it's unfortunate. That was a real opportunity. I, I think on the big picture, though, we have not been consulted, just as my other uh, colleague mayors have not been and through this whole process. This is uh, yet still, I'm willing to wager a guess, uh, and this is no disrespect to the people of Fort McMurray. I, I suspect that if if everyone was honest, they would probably agree with me here. I bet you that if you if you polled folks in Fort McMurray right now, they'd, they'd be really bothered by this. They'd be ticked off if they were aware of what's going on. They would suggest that this is unacceptable to not be consulted. It flies in the face of criticism this government made of the previous government when the United Conservatives were in opposition. The mayor himself, Mayor Don Scott here, is telling us that the health minister is not planning ahead of time, not consulting with him in meaningful fashion. But I bet you that if we had an election today, we'd still be a, see pretty strong support for the United Conservatives out of the RMWB, out of out of Fort McMurray, Wood, Buffalo. I mean, what's your message to your constituents right now? People that are saying, hey, listen, I, I have our I mean, I hear this from people all the time. They're saying I can't vote NDP. I don't believe the Alberta Party's strong enough. And I'm ticked off at the conservatives. How should people make sense of this? I mean, let's just talk like three guys over coffees or beers, Mayor Scott. What's what's your message to people in your city right now? It's a, it's a challenging time up here for sure. I, one thing I can say about the local response, there's been 2,500 letters that have been sent to the provincial government on this issue. Wow. And uh, everybody has expressed uh, strong frustration about this issue. Our MLAs have been consulted. Uh, you know, it, we're just making no progress on it. I think... Generally, politically speaking, I think there's uh, the NDP and the UCP right now. I, there is no third option in this region. So, uh, And the UCP were elected with a strong mandate in this region, but they need to listen to the residents of this region. So they really need to pay attention to what we are saying up here, and we are universally against this. Uh, I know of no one in this region who's come to me and said, this is a great idea, let's go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, I think to me, it's like if, if I was talking to a buddy over a beer, I can't wait to go for beers with buddies. But if I was talking to a buddy over a beer right now, it would be like, how do politicians treat you? What promises do they make to you? And do they keep their promises? I mean, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, Mayor Spearman, you got a bit of a shout out, a stick tap uh, from Mayor Nenshi before he signed off. And and he touched on uh, some of the work that you've done. He said it's not just the ambulance dispatch stuff, this, that and the other. He touched on supervised consumption services. Uh, the Arches facility in Lethbridge certainly found itself at the forefront of the headlines depending on who you talk to either the facility was being mismanaged fiscally or they fell victim to a hit job from the province 
Um, uh, either way, I think you'll get everybody to agree that with a real lack of consultation, that service lost its funding. And I know it's had a detrimental impact uh, to people who use drugs and, and in general to the bigger community in Lethbridge. You've been an advocate for it. Uh, where is the status of that now? It's kind of fallen out of the public awareness with so many things happening in the news. Uh, can you bring us up to speed on harm reduction in Lethbridge and where it stands right now? Well, the issue hasn't really gone away at all. And, you know, we talk about the four pillars. We talk about uh, prevention and education. We talk about harm reduction. We talk about uh, recovery. And uh, the value of uh, harm reduction was to put you in contact with the addicts. And uh, then you can refer them to uh, treatment and recovery services. Uh, We really don't have anything. We only had supervised consumption. Uh, the government has promised us uh, supported housing. Uh, they funded, they gave us $11 million uh, a year ago and uh, or announced it, but that project hasn't started. So we really have nothing to deal with a really serious issue in this, uh, in this region and in our city. So uh, that's the challenge we have now. We, we need to begin to address the many, you know, over 200 homeless people in our city, uh, uh, a large number of uh, people who are addicts who are creating social problems constantly. We just don't have the resources to deal with it. So uh, I, I have been lobbying since 2014 for intox services, detox services, supported housing. And uh, one of the biggest disappointments of my uh, almost eight years in, in uh, as service as the mayor is we really haven't accomplished anything. Jeez. Uh, Mayor Scott, before I I know that the two of you have 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 uh, commitments today and we've got to respect your time, obviously. Um, Mayor Spearman, let us know what his political future looks like, which is more time with his family and the celebration of a, of, of a strong and illustrious career. Um, as far as I know, you've not announced yet whether or not you'll seek a second term as mayor. Have have you come to some resolution on that? Are you still thinking it over? What are the factors at play? Yeah, I'm undecided at this point. Uh, yeah, I'll be, uh, you know, I've been hearing from constituents, talking to my family and others, and uh, just getting feedback at this point. So uh, we'll see how it goes. I think there's some interest that have been expressed by perhaps at least one councillor, another member of the community has come forward and at least talked to me privately and said they might run for mayor and they just wanted to feel it out. So I think uh, at this point, I'm just going to uh, sit back and uh, wait and see what happens and then uh, make a decision at some point later on. I'm, I'm always fascinated by by the, the uh, uh, city councillors uh, that will uh, declare an intent to seek the mayor's office before the incumbent has announced what they're going to do. You know, we have we have here in Edmonton, uh, you know, you everybody was wondering about a couple of counselors. As a matter of fact, at, at my count, about five counselors, what what their plan was and every single one of them, maybe with the exception of one. But most of them said, we're going to wait to see what what Don does. We're going to wait to see what Mayor Iveson decides before you declare your intent to run against the incumbent. That's always fascinating. Uh, Mayor Scott, I know that I know that you're not a guy that sh- shies away from from tough assignments. As mentioned, you know, you served Albertans as as uh, Minister of Innovation and Advanced Education before you've served as an MLA before. Um, how much does, does does what the future looks like play into your decision? I, I've had some incumbent mayors in Alberta tell me off the record, uh, which means I will re- repeat their comment, but I won't say who said it, uh, that, that, that they're concerned about relationships between the municipalities and the province. They're concerned about the tone of the provincial governance right now and they're very concerned about the economy and for those three reasons they're not interested in continuing in their current roles how much does that play into ultimately the decision that you will make 
you know, that wouldn't be a factor in my decision okay. because no matter where you are elected politically, there's going to be challenges. The, there are more, you know, they're, they're extremely large right now, but uh, those challenges wouldn't deter me at all. It's, uh, it's more other factors, I think, that would weigh in and the feedback that I get from others, but those wouldn't be factors. I think, uh, I think we should embrace challenges as elected leaders. Uh, that's what you're elected to face, and uh, you need to embrace it and, and carry on. You're elected to serve in good times and bad times and right through challenges. So uh, I think that, uh, you know, I, I like a challenge. And, and let me state the obvious that municipalities will need strong, committed leadership, perhaps, uh, you know, in the fall of next year more than ever. Uh, Mayor Spearman, did, did those factors play into your I mean, obviously, like you said, you said you're I mean, I, I'm not sure I necessarily agree with you in that in that you didn't say past your expiry date, but you did say you're past the date. <laughs> you did say you're past the date when most politicians might call it a career. Certainly, uh, you, you've committed uh, more than a quarter century to the public service, as you noted. And there are a lot of reasons why it would make perfect sense uh, for you to, to transition into some form of retirement. But did those factors that I noted have anything to do with your decision? Uh, no, I always enjoyed serving and I particularly enjoyed working with my other mayors and other municipal officials. I think um, on issues like the one we're talking about today, you know, when we have some issues in common, uh, it's fantastic to uh, build as a team, uh, to share information, to double check what we believe against each other. And as mayors, we're in unique situations. We, we have challenges within our own councils sometimes, and uh, we can uh, talk to each other about how our relationships are happening or is this happening in your council? Um, so I think uh, I very much enjoyed the experience and I learned a lot. Um, I'm a lot, I wouldn't say a lot smarter than I was in when I was first elected, uh, but I did learn a lot about a lot of different issues and I very much enjoyed the experience. And sometimes it has been stressful and sometimes it's been challenging. Uh, but uh, I think uh, we all do it for the right reasons. And, uh, you know, the, my three colleagues who are on with you today, I would encourage them to continue to serve because all three of them are doing a great job. Yeah. And uh, we can't all quit. <laughs> you know? So <laughs> the, import, the important thing is to have a good base of knowledge at the municipal level and to continue to build. And I, I really hope that we can work with our provincial government. In, you know, we're trying to pass an olive branch. We're not trying to challenge the provincial government's authority. We're trying to say, you're doing the wrong thing on this file. We all serve Albertans. Let's make sure we're doing the best we can. Let's keep what's working and let's work to change what isn't working. And on this particular file, this government is choosing to do something that flies in the face of that. Why would they want to provide a surface that will not be as good as the one we have? We have huge challenges in terms of ambulance response. Ambulances, we have six ambulances in the city of Lethbridge, sometimes three of them are away on inter-facility transfers going to Calgary. Half of our ambulances aren't available at, at any one time. Sometimes the nearest available ambulance is 20 or 30 minutes away. We have to fix this problem and we have to have a government that listens. And if we don't, it's not going to work out well for anybody. Nobody can have any confidence in the system that the province proposes to implement on Tuesday. And 80% of our residents have said that. And why isn't this government listening? 
Strong words from Lethbridge Mayor Chris Spearman. Just just to just to clarify, I'm, I'm only looking at a 2016 census number, so this may be outdated. But I see Lethbridge has a population of about 93,000. Are you are you over 100,000 by now? Yes, we are. So we, six ambulances for 100,000 people. That seems low. Is that low? It is low. We we opened up a new we're opening up a new fire hall and we asked Alberta Health Services if they would be providing an additional ambulance for that fire hall. And the answer was no. Jeez. Uh, half, well, half our population lives on on the west side of the river now. So the uh, we only had one fire hall in West Lethbridge, and we opened up a, another. We were opening up another one to address the uh, better need, address the needs of that population. And uh, you know, we're just not feeling that there's cooperation uh, with the with the provincial government and with Alberta Health Services to the extent that there should be. And we would like that. We we encourage the government, uh, and we were encouraged with. Um, Minister Allard, when she was the municipal health minister, uh, she made a, a tragic mistake, a, a, a poor, poor judgment, but she was actually doing a very good job as municipal affairs minister. We hope uh, with uh, Minister McIver as the acting minister, as a former municipal councillor, that he will have a better understanding of the way that municipalities and the provincial government can work together. I've got some, I've got some people that, that, that I would describe as typically pretty, pretty politically savvy that are convinced that Tracy Allard is in a timeout, that she's in the penalty box as opposed to being permanently disposed of that position. We'll have to see. Uh, let me say this, Mayor, as we saw yesterday uh, when Betsy DeVos resigned as education secretary in the United States, I'm not sure if you saw the release, the press release from the American Federation of Teachers. Uh, it's really incredible the, the press release simply reads, good riddance. So not everyone in the public service always gets the swan song, Mayor Spearman, that you've been receiving over the past number of days from many of your colleagues at different levels of government. It says something about what you did uh, for the citizens of Lethbridge uh, and for your fellow Canadians. Uh, I want to thank you on their behalf, if I may. I want to thank you for your availability today. Mayor Scott, it's always wonderful to connect with you. Uh, thank you to the both of you for staying into overtime. I hope I haven't uh, secured this as a problem to get you ever back on the show. I'll see what your chiefs of staff have to say but thank you for this today. I Take wish care. I had a chief of staff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hey, well, put it this way. It gave you one less fire to put out when it came to who traveled and who didn't over Christmas, Mayor. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, Mayor Don St uh, Scott out of uh, Fort McMurray Wood Buffalo. Mayor Chris Spearman out of Lethbridge. Gentlemen, thank you very much and a happy new year to you thank both. You. Happy New Year. Take care, Ryan. Okay. Uh, now, I wanted to get to some of your comments about, now, I, I know that it feels like it's been forever. It has, it's been more than an hour since I talked to Calgary's Mayor Nahed Nenshi about his Chief of Staff, Devery Corbin's uh, trip, and a junior staffer as well that's not been named, uh, their trip to Hawaii. And, and, and we have, I would say, some differing opinions on this, but not really. I mean, you know, with regards to those that are that are speaking in somewhat of a somewhat of a supportive stance of the mayor, I saw one person say, hey, listen to this. I, I, I believe... Uh, you know, they said they said, you know, not every politician was at least up front about this. Uh, they said, you know, Mayor, Mayor Nenshi at least tried to get ahead of the story and divulge the fact that his chief of staff traveled. He didn't have to do that. He could have waited until people found out. Um, that's that's, I guess, an interesting point. It doesn't change the fact that she did travel and it doesn't change the fact that people are are quite ticked off about this. I want to get to some of your comments. The ones that, that mean the most to me or let me say the ones that resonate the most to me are the ones from supporters 
Right. I mean, it's one thing, for example, you take a look at who's upset at the provincial government right now. And, and you know, there are people on Twitter. Jason Kenney kind of dismissed them a little bit yesterday, saying he doesn't govern based on Twitter hashtags uh, to a certain degree. That's a smart comment. I mean, the premier's not wrong. You don't want a government that's pivoting every time that a hashtag starts to trend. But you also want a government that listens to the people. Now, there are people on Twitter that have that have despised Jason Kenney for, for years. I mean, you know, from the beginnings of his political career as an MP out of Calgary, perhaps before that with the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, and they're upset at him now. You go, OK, I mean, it doesn't discount their concerns, but they'd be upset at Jason Kenney about anything. The comments that resonate with me most strongly are the ones that people say that I voted for this party. I voted for this guy. I knocked doors for this guy. I fundraised or donated to this guy, and I'm upset. Those are the ones that mean something or mean the most to me with regards to their significance. And some of the comments uh, that we've been receiving on our hashtag, Real Talk RJ, as well as the comments on our YouTube thread, the ones that jump out at me are the ones that people are saying, I was, a, I was or am a supporter of Mayor Nancy. I've supported what he's been doing, and I'm upset about this. Those are the ones I'm paying keen attention to. Speaking of our hashtag, Real Talk RJ, it's powered by the team at Park Power. And you know, province wide across Alberta, they're in the electricity, natural gas, and internet game, and they want your business. It seems straightforward. You're going to pay somebody for these services. Why not pay Park Power? Well, why should I, you say? Two big reasons. Number one, they profit share in their communities. So charities who are facing a tougher, tougher uphill climb now than they have in a long time based on the economy, based on unemployment, well, they're going to benefit from Park Power's commitment to profit share. Number two, if you sign up right now, whether you're a commercial or residential uh, entity, you're going to save 70 bucks off your first bill. 70 bucks just by using the, ha- uh, rather by the promo code 2021-REALTALK. 2021-REALTALK saves 70 bucks off your bill at parkpower.ca. If you're looking to breathe easier and save money, back-to-back opportunities to keep more cash in your jeans, the team at Clean Air Club wants to make life a little easier for you and your family with regards to the quality of the air that you breathe in your home. Let me ask you this. When's the last time you changed your furnace filter? Did you just get that sick feeling where you realized it? it might have been a year? Some of you may be going, you're supposed to change your furnace filter? Oh my gosh. Go check it out right now. Read the information down the side of the furnace filter. It's the thing you can pull right out of the unit. You go to cleanairclub.ca, you tell them the size of your filter. Next thing you know, sometimes next day, they've got the furnace filter replacements at your front door, plus a little gift. They want you to save money. They want your family to breathe easier at cleanairclub.ca. And of course, we also want to remind you how proud we are to be partnering with the team at Alta Moving and Storage. If your New Year's resolution or if the impact of 2020 on you is that you've realized you need to declutter, you need to downsize, or maybe you need more home office space. Maybe you need to expand your digs. If it involves a move, take away the stress by contacting Alta Moving and Storage and getting your hands on one of those pod-style moving containers. This is the new rage. They drop it off at your convenience. You fill it or they provide movers for you. They take it to the new location and Bob's your uncle. Plus, short and long-term storage solutions all at Alta Moving and Storage. You can contact them directly at altastorage.ca or give them a call at 780-993-ALTA. Timed out beautifully right there, Sam. It really, yeah, I, <laughs> I I always get a little nervous when I see the countdown of the ad music on yeah. like the last 10 seconds. But like, you never indicate but, you're yeah. nervous. You're always so copacetic oh, behind well. the desk. 
It's uh, I think it's it's the it's the duck with the feet under the. It's yes, under the, nice under and thing, right? Nice and calm on the surface, and then paddling Paddle, like like paddling, yeah, furiously after furiously that. Underneath. Yeah. All right, Jeremy Clausus is editor in chief of Sprawl Calgary of the Sprawl. I should say we're going to get to him in just a second to tee this up, uh, and this this will allow us to provide uh, comments on what you've said about Mayor Nenshi's decision to not uh, discipline his chief of staff for traveling to Hawaii. It'll allow us to broaden our conversation on on what I think is is very clearly. Can I say very clearly mixed messaging? Uh, that doesn't really make sense, does it? It's somewhat contradictory. Jason Kenny took questions from reporters. Uh, he said about 100 times yesterday, let me be clear. That's what he said. Let me be clear. It's safe to travel and we need to support our airlines, but don't travel. Let me be clear. It's kind uh, of his favorite line. It's good. It's it's yeah. It, let me be clear uh, about this. Um, let me tee this up before we get into uh, the story that's just been pushed out uh, with uh, the sprawl, the provincial government's relationship with WestJet. It's an interesting deep dive, a great bit of journalism. Uh, this was Jason Kenny taking a question from a reporter yesterday. Well, uh, to be clear, I didn't know that members of caucus had vacationed outside the country. As I said, uh, on January the 1st, I first learned about members of our uh, caucus having traveled outside the country on uh, Tuesday of last week. Uh, and it frankly, it wasn't until Sunday, this, this uh, past Sunday, uh, that we had fully established the whereabouts of everybody, which points to uh, a breakdown of discipline in this caucus that uh, has to change and that will change. Uh, in, I was aware, as I said, uh, on uh, January 1st that I, my ch former chief of staff had advised me, uh, as he basically said he was on his way to the airport about his travel plans. Um, I should have uh, put a stop to that. I accept responsibility that I didn't. And I also accept responsibility that we didn't have a strong enough culture of discipline. Uh, in the caucus, the government caucus, uh, for people uh, not to even think about traveling uh, abroad at this time. What I said then uh, was that uh, I didn't think it was reasonable to impose sanctions, uh, given that I had not been sufficiently clear to absolutely ban uh, and say there would be uh, consequences uh, for traveling abroad at the, uh, during, during the pandemic. And, uh, but what happened over the weekend is I, last weekend I heard very clearly uh, from Albertans about their anger, their disgust, their frustration, and their uh, uh, understandable demand that there be real serious consequences. So I listened and acted accordingly with the disciplinary action that was taken uh, and announced uh, this past Monday. Uh, and we've taken other actions to begin uh, building a much stronger culture of discipline. As I said on uh, January, January the 1st, uh, it's never come naturally to me to think about tracking the whereabouts of what people who I work with do on their personal time. And um, I accept responsibility that uh, buck stops with me. And I created a culture, uh, I'm ultimately responsible for creating a culture in our caucus that w has not been one of um, sufficient uh, oversight on, on what people are doing. And that has, simply has to change. On our uh, YouTube comment thread, and I'm going back now, I'm rewinding uh, about an hour and a half now, uh, an hour and 20 minutes, because I wanted to, to, to do justice and to provide a platform for the comments that you had, uh, those of you that are watching us live, while Mayor Nenshi was taking the questions about his chief of staff. Uh, Kim says, you know, we can be disappointed in Mayor Nenshi on this one, but also still appreciate uh, the other good work he's done. 
he led us through two major crises uh, before I'm accused of hypocrisy. I better point out that when I read Lucas's email yesterday, who, who suggested that I should be focusing on the good that Donald Trump did, uh, that that was an absolutely ridiculous and tone deaf take, although I'm not comparing Mayor Nenshi and President Trump here. Uh, let me say that there are other comments here. For example, Darren says, I don't think the mayor's made a case that his chief of, uh, of staff traveling was a good decision. Uh, those in elected positions and, and close senior staff should do their best to lead by example. They knew better. I don't think that Mayor Nenshi at any point was trying to say that this was a good decision. I think everybody knows it was a bonehead decision. Uh, the difference is, is that he's not asking for the resignation of his chief of staff as Premier Kenny did with Jamie Huckabee. Um, Jack says uh, Nenshi's the best mayor that Calgary's ever had, but I am angry that he's not going to fire his chief of staff. I stayed home this Christmas and New Year's. She should have done the same. Jack's comment is the type of comment I'm talking about. Nenshi is the best mayor Calgary's ever had, but I am angry. That from Jack. Those are the types of comments that will resonate with an elected official. Alyssa says Nenshi understands PR. Jason Kenny doesn't. That's it in a nutshell. Be in front of a story. Don't fumble after the fact. Alyssa says Nenshi didn't have to even say anything publicly about his staff. Let me ask you this about Kenny. I mean, where was Adriana LaGrange yesterday with regards to the announcement that students will be heading back to school on Monday, the 11th. Isn't it weird? Is it weird that the minister of education wasn't there? Now, let me be clear. <laughs> let me be clear. I do not have reason to believe, nor do I have information, nor am I implying that Adriana LaGrange traveled over the Christmas break. I do not know. I'm not saying she did. But the consequence of damaging the trust between elected officials and the electorate is that people start to wonder. And right now, people are wondering who else traveled? What other MLAs traveled? What other city councilors traveled? What other mayors traveled? I mean, did, did you see the situation in, in Cold Lake right now? Cold Lake's mayor? Did you see this one down to Florida? Down to Florida with his with his elderly father? He, he, said, he said, hey, I, I, was, I wasn't traveling as a mayor. I was traveling as a son. He says, I wanted to get my dad down there because we're afraid he'll catch pneumonia in the Alberta winter. And plus, he can get fast-tracked vaccination down there. He can't get that here. So, yeah, I took my dad down to Florida, says Cold Lake's mayor. You have MPs. You know, you have senior political staffers, federally, provincially, and municipally that, that traveled. They've broken the trust. People now wondering, I mean, what I, what would I, what I would suggest, you know, I... Let me just say, and I, I want to be careful what I put on the record here, but, you know, we have little birdies that fly all around us and we're grateful for them. And these little birdies know that that we would never say where their nests are or else they'd stop chirping at us. But if I say something in front of a microphone and put something out on YouTube, typically it's because a little birdie in a verified position of credibility has chirped a little something at us like, hey, you should have your viewers, you should have your audience members continue to hold their elected representatives to account it is not out of line for you to ask your city councilor your mayor your mla or your member of parliament where they were over the christmas holidays over the holiday break and don't get too specific don't say the christmas holidays because if they traveled over new year they can slide out of that one right ask specifically did you leave the province or did you leave the country over the holiday break have you left the country since this pandemic began have you contravened travel advisories 
the little birdies are suggesting that this may just be the tip of the iceberg that we're seeing here and that there may be governments in self-preservation mode. In other words, there may be elected officials right now with their hearts in their throats wondering when their own travel itineraries may be put in front of the public. This is all part of a bigger conversation about confusing messaging with regards to travel advisories and Jeremy Clausus, editor-in-chief of The Sprawl at sprawlcalgary.com, pushing out a great piece of journalism, how Alberta encouraged beach travel despite its own warnings. Jeremy, we're grateful that you've made time to join us this morning. Welcome back to Real Talk. You're on a very short list of, of folks who have appeared twice in our first six weeks. Thanks for making time for us and a happy new year to you. Yeah, happy new year, Ryan. Happy to be here. Uh, I said yesterday, the premier uh, essentially saying, let me be clear. We need WestJet to survive. Travel on airplanes is safer than going to the grocery store, but we're encouraging Albertans to stay home. What the hell, man? (laughs) Well, that's kind of been the situation for a while. Uh, These confusing messages coming out of all governments, but especially uh, our provincial government here in Alberta. Because the directive, as you and I and most Albertans, uh, as we understand, is pretty clear, which is avoid non-essential travel. That's what the government's website says. Uh, It's very, very clear. Um, But I got to thinking, you know, uh, (laughs) WestJet has been sending me emails and and sending you emails, too, basically saying, uh, you know, it's time for a trip. Uh, go on vacation, go to Hawaii, go to Mexico. Uh, they are promoting travel. And it's very interesting because the provincial government has kind of helped the airline industry in this. Uh, and I'm referring to the fast track quarantine uh, pilot program that Alberta rolled out in early November. So this is a program uh, where if you're arriving from somewhere, you can get a COVID test right away. You get your results within uh, a couple of days, ideally, and then you're good to go. Uh, and so normally you'd have to quarantine for two weeks. Um, but Alberta rolled out this program jointly with the federal government and the airlines with that program being rolled out. were like, you're good to go. Go on your vacation. Everything's cool now. Um, so it all adds up to a real confusing mess for for most members of the public and evidently for public officials as well. Yeah, I mean, I've got a, a, a ton of there's a, there's a recurring theme here uh, on our on our comment threads, whether it's the real talk RJ hashtag or our YouTube uh, broadcast where people are saying all this really did. I mean, ultimately, what this really did, whether you're angry at politicians or not, whether a politician or a, a chief of staff is going to lose their job or not, it's empowered people that were already cynical about the seriousness of this pandemic to drop every hesitation that they would have had around uh, taking their own trip. Jeremy, you're a, you're a Calgarian. Uh, you are a progressive Calgarian. You stamp it all over your branding at Sprawl Calgary. Uh, I don't know if if Nehad Nenshi is, is the mayor that you've supported in past, but he's certainly a progressive mayor. How do you perceive his, I'll call it, inaction on uh, the chief of staff and the junior staffer that traveled? I mean, how is that resonating with you personally? And what are Sprawl supporters saying? Mm-hmm. Well, I've heard a mix of things and I, you know, I've heard people say that, oh, you know, it, it sh- you shouldn't, shouldn't have to do anything because it's a chief of staff and chief of staff is not an elected position. 
And I don't buy that. Like it's, it's a chief of staff is a political position. Let's be honest about that. Um, where it gets tricky. And then she even said this, uh, was that the province has promoted this. The province has promoted this Hawaii corridor. And, and this is kind of what led me into this story, which was why is everybody going to Hawaii? Why Hawaii specifically? And part of the reason is because, WestJet rolled out a program uh, specifically for travel to Hawaii, where you can get a test. Uh, you can get a COVID test before you go so that when you arrive in Hawaii, you don't have to quarantine for 14 days there. So you can hit the beach right away, right? Surf's up. Um, and so when the province rolled this out, uh, you know, economic minister Doug Schweitzer was quoted in WestJet's news release saying, you know, basically this is great. Uh, the UCP's envoy to UCP government's envoy to the U S same thing saying like, this is great. Um, happy to see this program. Uh, so it is this really weird, uh, just con massive confusion. Like what are, what are people supposed to do? It's not clear. So, but to, to get back to your question, no, I don't think Nancy should be exempt from taking action on, his chief of staff, like his chief of staff is politically aware of what's going on. And, and, and yeah, if, if Kenny should have to get rid of his chief of staff, then she should too. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I think what it says to me, to be honest, is here's my speculation. And again, I have nothing to base this on. This is just my gut instinct. Um, I think it says that Nenshi's not going to run again. I think it says that he wants his chief of staff to be with him for his final 10 months in office. And uh, what I thought was problematic, and I did put it in front of him uh, in the form of a follow up question. He said it didn't make sense to me to collapse somebody's livelihood over something like this that I think, you know, he didn't use the word justified, but could be justified. And I thought, you know, that's that's really tough messaging it, it, along the lines of, of former municipal affairs minister Tracy Allard that talked about her family tradition of Hawaii. How many family traditions do you think were interrupted by this lockdown, by these measures? Uh, Mayor Nenshi talks about, you know, he doesn't want to collapse someone's livelihood. How many livelihoods have been deflated or totally collapsed? As a result of these lockdowns, I, I think that's a difficult message to push. Jeremy, this is this is not anything profound nor anything new that I'm saying. But when it comes to stories that can be difficult to sort out, difficult to make sense of, most especially in politics, we are advised to follow the money. And let me also suggest mm -hmm. that following the influence uh, is also beneficial Talk to us about Nick Coolsberg and who he is, what he's done in past, who he's working for now, and who he has as a captive audience. This is very important. Mm -hmm. So Nick Coolsbergen is a former chief of staff for Kenny. Uh, this is in 2017, 2018. He was a chief of staff for Kenny. And in the last provincial election, he was the campaign director uh, for Kenny. So that's in 2019. Uh after that election, he started uh, a lobbying company called Wellington Advocacy. Um, and, and so I got, you know, like many Albertans, when I watched the premier's New Year's Day press conference, it started with this very, uh, this very weird, almost this ad for WestJet, like this plug of WestJet uh, talk, you know, the premier was saying, you know, there's a big employer. Uh, and if all travel was to stop, 
uh, or almost all travel was to stop. I don't think WestJet would survive. And he talked about how, you know, lots of Albertans are away on vacation as we speak. Many more are going away to warmer climates in the, in the m- months to come. Uh, and I thought that's kind of weird and interesting. So I looked in the provincial lobbyist registry to see, you know, is WestJet lobbying the provincial government? Yes, they are. Uh, what's the company doing the lobbying? Wellington Advocacy, who, which is run by Nick Kulsbergen and has other former UCP uh, staff as part of its uh, company as well, including Brad Tennant, who is a former UCP executive director. Uh, so they've been lobbying uh, the province last year on behalf of WestJet. They want to make Alberta, you know, strengthen Alberta's position in the aviation industry in Canada. And, and I wanted to get some clarity on this. Like, let's be specific. What is this company lobbying the Alberta government for? And I, I reached out to uh, Christine Myatt, who is Premier Kenny's uh, press secretary. And she said, well, you know, borders and uh, airports are federal jurisdictions. So I suggest you talk to them, which is uh, a total cop out in my mind, because uh, the province has been very involved with this quarantine program, this fast track quarantine program. Uh, at the Calgary International Airport. So they, they, they are not hands off when it comes to uh, the airline industry and, and travel. They've been very involved with this. And Premier Kenny has been very outspoken uh, in support of expanding that kind of quarantine program nationally. He put out a news release in November saying, you know, the federal government basically needs to do more to support the airline industry. We're doing this pilot here in Alberta. There should be a national framework where... Uh, you know, nationally, this is happening. Um, so it's very interesting to see folks who are, you know, involved quite recently with uh, Premier Kenny and with the UCP and with the election uh, now lobbying for uh, WestJet. And then it kind of, in my mind, oh, I kind of understand now uh, why the why the Premier is plugging WestJet at that New Year's Day press conference. Yeah, like, so, so just to restate, uh, Kenny's former chief of staff, who launched a lobbying firm right after the provincial election where he was the campaign director is now representing WestJet. <laughs> that that's pretty yeah. like that's that's pretty, you know, and then and then the vice president of that lobbying firm is the former executive director of the United Conservative Party and their director of public affairs is a former director of issues management for the UCP caucus. Uh you might not blame them for getting confused uh, around a lunch table over who is representing whom here. Uh, I just wonder who might be representing the people of Alberta. And then let's talk about Hal Denchilla. Uh, Hal is a longtime uh, conservative uh, political insider. He's a mover and a shaker. Hal Denchilla makes things happen. Uh, Co-founder of Canadian Strategy Group. He's representing Dynalife, who's administering the private tests. So this is, I mean, exactly. Jeremy? So this is part of this Hawaii program uh, that WestJet uh, rolled out in, in November. And, and like I said, you get pre-tested. You get tested before you go to Hawaii and then you're exempted from the quarantine. Well, those tests are processed by DynaLife, uh, which is a private lab company that is lobbying the Alberta government for expanded an expanded role in health services. Uh, so this is nothing new in a sense. You know, private companies are have been doing this in Alberta for a long time, um, trying to get a piece of kind of the public health system. Uh, but yeah, Hal Danchilla is uh, listed as personally lobbying 
uh, for for Dynalife. So so it's very interesting all these uh, all these threads and how they intersect with the premier's office and how they intersect with what airlines are doing because airlines uh, and I should be clear like it's not just WestJet. You know, Air Canada, it came out a few days ago, they're hiring influencers uh, to to basically promote international travel, despite what the federal government is clearly saying, which is, you know, don't do this. Um, but yeah, airlines feel uh, they're, they're trying to get governments to basically sanction what they're doing. And, and the Alberta government is really, you know... <laughs> trying to please everyone when I look at it, like they're, they're saying, okay, here's the public health health order. Uh, don't travel, avoid non-essential travel, uh, unless you want to do it, in which case, sure. And we'll even help you. Uh, so <laughs> it's, it's, and, and premier Kenny himself, I mean, it's interesting to watch the turnaround because, uh, you know, new year's day, uh, he, he was almost framing this travel as, you know, supporting the airline industry. And, and, and since he's received such strong blowback, blowback from Albertans, now he, you know, he portrays it as unconscionable. Um, so it's interesting to see that shift, but it doesn't really clarify anything for the public who's left to make these decisions with conflicting uh, information and conflicting uh, recommendations. Well, and Jeremy, this is no offense to you, but even following our conversation, nothing is more clear to the public because there's no clarity here. Uh, the, you know, no, 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 exactly. Like if you're, if like if you, so if you travel right now uh, to Maui, or if you travel to Puerto Vallarta, if you if you, you got you know sand between your toes and your Instagram feed is making everybody jealous, uh, half of your friends are going to think you're a jerk. Uh, and the other half of your friends are going to what applaud you for helping Canadian airlines stay afloat. Uh, I mean, airlines in Canada, yeah. not the not Canadian airlines, the previous entity. I mean, it's just it's totally confusing. I mean, Blind Melon on uh, tuned in right now says, think of this. You know, the pandemic started in one country and traveled via airplane across the globe. The virus moves when we move. It's as simple as that. Wally says our provincial government is 100 percent enslaved to business. The decisions start with them first. Normal people like us do not have money to stuff into unmarked envelopes. Uh, Jenny's listening in. Uh, Jenny says, sorry, is lobbying new? Uh, obviously not. And lobbying in many circumstances is beneficial and it's an important part of the political machine and, and all lobbyists are not evil. Far from it, as a matter of fact. But it does make sense to understand who is representing whom, who has existing relationships, who is being served, who is being listened to, who has an audience, and who benefits. I mean, I think those are all very fair statements that the public needs to have some sunlight on. And you've done that with your piece here in Sprawl Calgary. So ultimately, where does this go, Jeremy? Well, I, I mean, here's what I would want the Premier to address, and Dr. Hinshaw, and she kind of addressed it yesterday, which is, Answer the question clearly, should Albertans be going on international vacations or not? So basically what's happening right now is Dr. Hinshaw yesterday said, you know, my travel, my, my advice is avoid non-essential travel. But then Kenny says, like, people are going to travel, so we're going to make it safe. So <laughs> again, it makes, it makes it no clear. So quit trying to quit bowing to industry. And I get that the industry is suffering. WestJet announced... Uh, this morning that it's probably going to be laying, laying off uh, 
or not not a thousand jobs, but a thousand jobs are going to be affected by new uh, federal regula- regulations that require you to have a COVID test before you fly into Canada. And the airline industry is really upset about that. Um, but stop trying to please everybody. Like I think the public deserves some clarity here and, and stand by it. If you're issuing a public health recommendation, stand by it. Don't don't do it with a wink and a nod. And this is kind of what the government has been doing. The Alberta government has been doing the whole time with its COVID regulations, which is like, if, you know, we're going to, we're going to roll this out. We, if you don't follow it, we, we kind of get it. Like you you remember premier Kenny talking about, uh, you know, the two guys in a barn in rural Alberta, if we were to have a mask mandate, uh, would these people comply with it? So I, I, I just see it as a continuation of this 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 pattern of here's here's what we're recommending. Here's here's the what the science says and the public health advice is. But you know if you're going to do something else, we get it. Uh, Jeremy, you you had tweeted uh, yesterday evening following the news availability with Alberta's premier, Alberta's chief medical officer of health. You said for what it's worth, here's what I had hoped to ask Premier Kenny and Dina Hinshaw today, and you touched on the questions that we're addressing here around travel and mixed messaging. Zev is listening. You know, Zev is watching our YouTube uh, stream this morning, says, please ask Jeremy about how the provincial press conferences, the structure is not allowing him to ask questions. Uh, is the sprawl being frozen out here of the, of the question process? I wouldn't say the sprawl is because we don't call in. Uh, I, we don't call in frequently, but I know other journalists like Charles Rusnell at CBC uh, routinely posts that he can't ask a question at these press conferences. And meanwhile, you have uh, Rick Bell uh, of the Calgary Sun gets to ask a question uh, <laughs> pretty much every time. So I am genuinely interested in finding out uh, what is that process. Uh, I've heard mixed things. Some. You know, some people yesterday were telling me it's first come, first serve. I said, well, no, what does Rick not. Bell phone in at 1 p.m.? Yeah. Uh, but yeah. but I am curious because uh, that whole format and the format the journalists are dealing with right now does really limit the scrutiny that we can put on the government. And even the, the fact that we're not in the room. So, for example, when we ask a question, we get an answer. We can't push back. Uh, so we can't ask that follow up question, which is. Uh, you didn't really answer that question. You didn't really clarify anything here. Uh, you know, this is the job of journalism to kind of pin people down on this stuff. And and with this format, it's very difficult to do that. So I am I am curious about that. You know, it's interesting that, uh, you know, somebody like Charles Rusnell is not getting to ask questions there. Meantime, uh, still absolutely kicking ass, Charles Rusnell is, uh, as are you, Jeremy, and your team at Sprawl Calgary. I want people to check out sprawlcalgary.com. Uh, I want to encourage our audience uh, to become a sprawler, to support independent journalism. Uh, Jeremy and his team have been punching outside their weight class uh, for a couple of years now, and the, and the work has never been more important. But before I let you go, Jeremy, I'm a guy that uh, in, in my personal space at home, we call it the cabin. It's where I throw darts and uh, where I I used to have beers with my friends. Um, I've got a, a wall of old vintage uh, typewriters and cameras and a couple of really neat old vintage radios. And while I have been paying full attention to what you've been talking about, I've been admiring whatever that is behind you. Uh, it looks to me to be an old vintage radio. What are we looking at there? What is that piece? Yeah. Yeah. And let me uh, get out of the way here. I should have read up on this before. If I knew you were going to ask me about it, look, but this is uh, a, it's a General Electric uh, 
radio from the 1930s, I believe. Beautiful. Gonna, it works. It's got a real nice. Oh yeah, it works. My uh, my uncle in Nebraska fixed this up and gave it to me, oh. and it's got a real nice tuning eye. These these two radios had a have a tuning eye, so when you're when you've tuned into the AM station, it glows green. I don't know. If, yeah, yeah, you probably won't be able to see it, but yeah, it's a it's a fun piece. That's okay. We're we're recommending against tuning into AM stations here on Real Talk. So, uh, <laughs> hey, Jeremy, Jerry, Happy New Year to you, my man. Keep up the amazing work. I'm proud to be a sprawler myself. Um, I'm grateful that you support our Patreon here at Real Talk, so we scratch each other's backs as we continue to fight for the people. Thanks for this, and keep it up. Thanks, Ryan. It's great to be here and uh, keep up the great work yourself. We promise we will. That's Jeremy Clausus. He's editor in chief of The Sprawl. They're doing a great job there. Um, it, it, while we're at it, uh, speaking of you having your voice and and the voice of the people, I was talking to you about our uh, question of the week. People are like, it's 1053. What's going on? Here? We're, we're going to uh, Sam, do we, your contract doesn't have overtime in it. I guess we'll just go till 6 p.m. That's uh, we can just keep Sam here for free. Oh, oh, oh that's how you, it works. You right? don't have you don't have anywhere to get to Sam. Do you no. just stay here till six o'clock at night? OK, perfect. Uh, but at RyanJesperson.com, you can find the link to our Y station question of the week. We call it get real. It's your chance to uh, weigh in on the issues of the day, and it gives us a sense of where our audience is at. Now, we told you that last week's question had 392 respondents. 400 of you uh, took part in our poll. And I said, you know what? That's amazing. It's amazing that 400 people give us a few minutes of their time to fill this out. I said, but we'd like to get to a thousand. We want to get to four digits uh, because, you know, when you hear of like Angus Reed and Ipsos and all the other, you know, Main Street and 338 and Y stations, other panel, uh, all of these pollsters will say, you know, we pulled a thousand Canadians or we talked to twelve hundred Canadians. And I said that my goal in the next three months was to get it up to a thousand. Well, I am thrilled. I am thrilled to tell you that uh, as per the numbers last night, so in other words, it may be more and it will be more after this mention that I'm doing right now, more than 4,000 of you have chimed in on our question of the week. 1,500 of you have made a commitment to join the Real Talk panel, which simply means you've committed to giving us, you know, two to three minutes of your time every week to be a regular contributor to this. 1,500 strong. What that means is that the science behind our polls is stronger. They're more meaningful. The larger the cross-section, the more meaningful the result. This is not limited to right-wingers or left-wingers. It's not limited to the young or the old. It's not limited to the employed or the unemployed or the retired. Our cross-section is amazing, and we're thrilled for that. This week's question of the week is still open, and we're asking you how you feel about disciplinary measures that have been taken or not, depending on your perception, around travel bans and violations of those by elected officials and senior staffers. I plead with you to join our Real Talk panel. It's presented by Y station the official research and strategy partner of real talk we're stronger because of that relationship and you can find it at ryanjesperson.com let's give a shout out to the team at westworld computers today uh you know my family deals with westworld personally my wife's there later today by appointment and of course we're proud to deal with them professionally as well westworld computers has been in the game for more than 40 years family owned and the real talk studio is chock full of mac gear we've got our imac our macbook pro we've got our i 
iPads or iPhones. We are powered thanks to our look at Sam there. That look at that beautiful. Uh, what do we call it? Sam's big unit. And then we kind of backed off of that. We're promo. still doing that, are we? No, I don't. I I don't know why. I, I, I'm surprised Westworld keeps giving us equipment when we when, when we, we talk when about we talk Sam's about big, big unit. Units, yeah. yeah, big set. Yeah, okay. Um, well, it is sexy nonetheless. That big iMac. Westworld's been family owned and operated for more than 40 years. You can find them, of course, online. Visit the sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. Uh, also, a big shout out today to the teams at Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. It's your home for the Jeep brand in the province of Alberta. And 2021 is a very exciting year for fans of the cult. The family that is Jeep. I'm one of them. As a matter of fact, we've been a Jeep family for more than two decades. There's just something about it. The reliability, the confidence that you have in the safety, the performance, and of course, the aesthetic standard set by Jeep. Their new lineup, this Grand Wagoneer that's coming out. Woo! This is going toe-to-toe against the Mercedes-Benz, the Cadillac Escalade. It's going up against the Lincoln Navigator, the Jeep Grand Wagoneer coming out a little later this year. Go to Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge if you want to learn more about those and of course our partnership you know where we're going now everybody buckle up our partnership with local waste local waste has been independently family owned and operated uh for the last 25 years going up against the big faceless garbage conglomerates when it comes to waste management whether it's garbage or recycling we, uh local waste wants your business so much so that they're putting their first names to it so if you'd like to see if your business could maybe improve its structure and maybe its bottom line by partnering with local waste give chris or lauren labossier a call at 780-242-9746 and you can also check out localwaste.ca i want to give you a heads up when it comes to our broadcast coming up on monday we're going to be checking in uh with some experts on the vaccine file we're going to learn more from the provincial government and the federal government today about vaccine rollout we'll take that on we also have uh an appointment booked an appointment uh tuning for us uh dr jennifer uh rather dr vivian stamatopoulos is going to join us from ontario to talk about long-term care strategy when it comes to the federal and provincial governments how do we save the lives right now it's life or death how do we save the lives of kind of some of canada's most vulnerable plus we'll talk provincial and federal politics and cover whatever else goes on over the weekend monday's show is shaping up to be a good one in the meantime we encourage you to share our podcast tell your friends about it we're so excited to see we took our top spot back this week i think thanks to monday's show but every show you've shown up for us friends the most downloaded daily news podcast in canada is real talk and we thank you for subscribing for rating that podcast and for sharing it with your friends sam it's a tradition let's do it All right, Trash Talk, presented by our friends at Local Waste Services, is your chance to get whatever off your chest. These are from emails submitted to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Siobhan says, the best thing that happened in 2021 so far was me discovering your show, Ryan. I appreciate the style. I appreciate that you're tackling hard issues head on with respect and offering your own opinion in reasonable fashion. I am a lefty, says Siobhan, but I don't want to live in a bubble of only like-minded people. I want to 
fulsome life that includes reasonable views on all sides. I'm sick of being dismissed as an overcaffeinated lefty. I'm sick of being attacked when I have the audacity to raise my voice as a woman. I am sick of the dog whistle racism and wide scale hate. I'm new to Alberta, but I know Albertans are better than this. And your team is an example of what much better looks like. Siobhan, thank you for that. Let's get to this one. This one from Jennifer K who says, where is this guy gone? He ruined car insurance. My Epcor's 300 bucks a month. My daughter doesn't have a speech therapist anymore, so I don't know what the fuck she's talking about. It involves a l, th, or r sound, and there aren't any social services for anybody. When do we riot? Asks Jennifer. See, this is why single moms need the gym. The fire needs to go somewhere. That from Jennifer K. How about this from Joanne? She says, I love the show on Thursday. You talked about Alberta's ag minister, Devin Dreeshen, blocking people. It dismays me when people in public office do that. I'm a registered nurse who commented to the minister of health, disagreeing with him about accosting that doctor in the driveway. I was promptly blocked. Now I have to go to second or third hand sources to find out what the ministry of health is putting out publicly. She says that's not okay to be a public figure and block people for expressing concerns. How about this one from Lex? Lex says, Ryan, your coverage of Devin Dreeshen's social media controversy censoring constituents made me think about Calgary Nose Hill conservative MP Michelle Rempel. As you know, her family's in Oklahoma, the USA, and she spent most of the year working remotely from there. I went to her Facebook account to point this out, and guess what? I discovered her page is set to filter out the word Oklahoma. I had to game the system, says Lack, by spelling it with dashes between each letter to get my post through the filter. I was immediately greeted by vile, vicious thugs, the most vile I've ever encountered. And I, after I endured several hours of personal attacks, she eventually blocked me. That from Lack. Wow. And how about this one from Louisa? Louisa says, long before the election, we all knew what kind of government we were going to get, but we collectively voted in the UCP anyway. We gave them the most power powerful jobs in the province and they are exactly who we thought they were and they're getting away with it Louisa says it reminded me of this the bears are what we thought they were they're what we thought they were we played them in preseason who the hell takes a third game in a preseason like it's bull bull we played them in the third game everybody played three quarters the bears are who we thought they were that's why we took the damn field now if you want to crown them, then crown their ass. But they are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. That from Louisa. They are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. That's been Trash Talk for this week. Back at it Monday morning at RyanJesperson.com. 8.30 Mountain Time. We'll talk to you then. And have a great weekend.